Hello and welcome to the We Are Geeks Horror Channel and our Invasion of the Body Snatchers retrospective podcast, where every Friday and every Wednesday we'll be covering a new installment in the classic horror franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. The We Are Geeks podcast series is published by wearetessellate.com and is a completely independent podcast. We Are Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the film's reference and no infringement is intended. Geeks! Geeks! Hello and welcome to episode two of the We Are Geeks Invasion of the Body Snatchers retrospective podcast. This week we're dealing with the 1978 version. I'm your host, Mr. Al White, and joining me on this entire journey through the pod people to my left, Katie Watson. Hello. <laughs> You're not British. Don't. She is British today. I'm the worm from the labyrinth. Hello. Hello. <laughs> don't go that way. I fucking love that one. It's so good. And to my right, Ooh. Alison Holland. Alison Holland, that's me. Who looks about ready to go home. <laughs> No. <laughs> it's gonna start quacking in the middle of this podcast we had a great like little acapella chicken thing happening nice. earlier i'm gonna put wonderful. it at the end of the podcast as, a little, right. as a little easter egg you guys should hang on for that it's <laughs> an easter bit. egg uh, <laughs> uh. oh jesus we haven't even had anything to drink <laughs> um but we're in our second episode of a five well six episode um thing but five films invasion of the body snatchers um, this is 1978. So this is for me the reason I wanted to do this show, really, because oh my god, do I love this movie? Um, I'm a huge fan of this film. It's what got me into all Spoilers. of the different uh, Body Snatchers movies. Um, but I haven't been back to it in a while. But it is one that I've watched many, many times. I've probably seen this film about a dozen times in my life. Um, and I remember it's one of those films. I remember the exact moment I first watched it. I was, I think. 17 maybe 18 around that time um and i was at my mom's house and she'd just gone to sleep and the tv was on in the background and i was vaguely aware this sci-fi film was starting and i wasn't really into science fiction um and i sort of heard this weird sort of nebulous drony music and i went through and looked at the screen and there was these sort of floaty bacteria things amalgamating in this weird beautiful surreal way and then landing on earth and then the rain was falling and i was like this is really intriguing way to start a movie um and it completely wrote me in i just sat straight down watched it blew my mind and it was one of those formative films for me for sure like night of living dead which hopefully one day we'll get around to doing that retrospective um, but that really just cemented my lifelong desire to become a film director and i remember just yeah watching this and just being like yep I were you able do to go to sleep like right after that yeah i didn't i found it more exciting than scary uh, but we'll get into that because I kind of hinted at that with the end of the 1950s one. But it, there's, it, I think I identified, particularly at that time, I was very introspective. I couldn't, like I would walk all the back streets for hours rather than going down the main street for five minutes to get to a location because I couldn't deal with crowds of people. <laughs> um, and there's definitely, I'm starting to realize as we talk about this series, that there's a lot to do with that mm-hmm. in the film. Like fear of crowds of people and fear of interacting with people and not trusting people. Or and, just not feeling at home in your world yeah not feeling at ease in that environment not feeling like you belong in a place and then trying to kind of con people by pretending that you're a part of that system exactly um and i feel there is something to that um for ostracized people to yeah get something different out of this film maybe other people get more of an action film out of not sure um but yeah so i'm definitely the big fan i'm excited to talk about this film katie what's your history with this movie um, I honestly hadn't seen this one until you introduced me to it, Al. 
uh, what was it, two years ago, maybe? I think so. A year and a half to two years ago. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Um, it combines so many things that I love about movies in general. And normally for this era, movies are very hit or miss for me um, because you're coming right up on the 80s. Things can be like too, I don't really know how to describe it. Like the quality of the movies wasn't so great. So it can be really kitschy sometimes. Um, and this one I thought hit all the right notes for me. And when you were talking about you know, when you were 17, because you've told me that story before, that you kind of see the intro to something. It reminded me so often of how TV used to be, you know, like so many times they wouldn't tell you because we never had like a TV guide. We were never that with it as a family. So there would be so many times where you would just turn the TV on and you would wait for the commercials to end and you knew like the top of the hour was happening. So something new was going to come on it, but you didn't know what it was. And then you would just see credits start to happen and, you know, you waited and waited and waited for the title of the movie to either say, you know, oh, I'm really excited. I heard so-and-so watched this movie and said it was really good, or I've never heard of this, but it looks really great. And then being either really pleasantly surprised or there was like this mystery, this excitement that was built into that. And the intro to this one really encapsulated that for me. And I, it just kind of reminded me of all of these moments where I fell upon these movies just kind of happened chance and yeah, ended up loving them yeah we were talking about this one because like yeah. for, for, it's this idea of what a midnight movie should be exactly which i feel originally came from and we looked it up didn't we because we we're trying to clarify it because we were doing like midnight b movies and, right and they really came from double bills and cinemas in the 70s and 80s and mm -hmm. it was the lower tier one basically uh, that had a shorter running time not as much money lots of problems yeah um, they were made for like sad insomniac people yeah <laughs> just like okay to be in cinema until two in the morning or whatever but for me that was something yeah like you say like we totally did have a schedule thing my mom would in the uk had a thing called the radio times which did way more TV, like it wasn't as relevant for radio really. Um, but yeah, in the UK, like up until up until 2000 and something, we only had four channels on our TV, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and you would, yeah, you'd go through the program because it was easy to look through those four channels and see what was on each day. And you'd put a little highlighter for different colors, depending on the member of the family or whatever, of what you wanted <laughs> to watch. And you would, you know, try and schedule your day around it because there's no way to come back to that. Or you right. do your VCR to like set it up. And we didn't get TiVo and things like that to way, way later than America. Um, yeah, we you know, would like try and finish our homework in time because our role was obviously like you couldn't watch TV if your homework wasn't done. Yeah. So you had to like, my movie's coming on at 8.30 and your bedtime is at 10. So you had, that was your hour and a half of watching TV. So you, but you had to have all your stuff done first. But you're absolutely right. Like for me, it was that thing of something would just come on late at night when maybe you're about to go to bed or you're staying up or whatever, and you wouldn't know what it was. And it would just sort of turn up mm -hmm. and you'd have to figure it out. And it seemed like this magical thing. And you knew like other people would be watching it for the first time or some people who were madly in love with this film or whatever. Mm -hmm. And which we were trying to figure out like we were talking about this you know last week like we were trying to figure out what that is for people now because now i guess people find films like in that way but through netflix but you do it by scanning through everything picking something you're not watching it at the same time as other people there's i guess like a collective thing in that netflix cycles its content so quickly people do tend to go like you know people will watch some of the same films in roughly the same proximity as right. other people um, so then people will be weirdly talking about Groundhog Day at the same time again or something like that. 
Yeah, you see the ones that are trending on Netflix right now, and yeah. they can be an assortment of new and older films. So I guess you're getting it in a way, but it's it's not the same as that thing of like you just change the channel and it's just on, and you just be subjected to something that through Netflix you never would have pressed play on right. to begin with, uh, just because the poster looked dumb or it had a two star rating suggested for you or whatever. Yeah, it just felt because there was this this feeling of getting to watch something exciting but there was this like luckiness involved in it yeah where you know you would come to school the next day or you now people go to work the next day or would go to work the next day and say you know oh did you see terminator was on last night or something and there was this we all watched it or we all had that moment together although we were separate and there's you know even if all of you have already seen that movie there's just something about not having planned it yeah and yeah that well, really doesn't exist not being able to quantify it because right. it was a pure way to watch film because now if i see a film on netflix and i look at that cover and i go oh maybe that looks cool or it looks awful and i want to watch that mm-hmm. <laughs> i go on imdb immediately and i can check out reviews from people i trust i can see what the overrating is i can see what else did that director do it's like oh yeah it is that actor what year was it you had no clue. Like, you couldn't check on anything. Like, no. the internet barely existed when I first saw this film. Yeah. And d- d- there was no way for you to find out anything else about it. It's like, when you sit down and you watch it, do you like it? That's it. You go in the next day to school or whatever, and you see if anyone else watched it, and you have a conversation, and you might embarrass yourself by going, you're like, that was amazing. And everyone's like, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but that was but That's how you pick your friends. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like life building. But I do feel that was like a pure way of, to decide because you had no influence from other people. Nowadays, you go into a film knowing, well, majority of people like this or don't like this. Right. And that in one way or another does inform a little bit how your opinion is when you come sure. out of film because it, it helps support you or it gives you something to really rile against. Yeah. Um, Alison, you are <laughs> the youth of the day <laughs> in a room of old people talking about yes, a time people. when there were only four That's channels on the TV. A time when there was dial-up and you couldn't watch cable at the same time someone was on the internet. Oh, <laughs> at least God. not in my house. That moment in my life. Not for very that long, moment. but it did. It did I was alive for it. <laughs> How do you feel, um, just to go, you've never seen this film before. Correct. We'll get back to Invasion of the Body Snatchers <laughs> in a second. <laughs> but how do you feel with that culture of like what discovering movies? How does that work for you? Um, well, I've, I mean, we've talked about this a few times, both on and off podcasts, but a lot of it was, I'm the youngest of three kids. And so you would think that parenting becomes more lenient with the youngest one, but because I was the youngest one, it was this idea of, no, you're too young. Your sisters can do this and your sisters can watch this and read this, but you can't yet. And that happened with Harry Potter. That happened with horror films, with films about sex, with everything. And so a lot of the stuff that I was exposed to is like silly, stupid things that my mom likes and watches, which there's a time for that. Sorry, mom, but you're not listening, so it's okay. Um, But in terms of, I mean, what I was exposed to was what my mom took me to see and allowed me to see. And then growing up, we had like the TV guide through DirecTV and you would just click guide. If you had HBO, you would go see what was on, decide like what you were saying, mm-hmm. oh, you see that this movie's on at nine, so let me do my things before then and then sit back on the couch so I can watch it then. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do feel like it's one of those things, it will, it will get lost very soon. Right. And it does, I do feel a little bit sad about it. Like yeah. I do feel it's it does take away part of that magic of just stumbling onto films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, so Ali, your history with this film is you've never seen it? Correct. This is your first time? Yes. 
I'm excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I really am. Um, all right. So it's directed by Philip Kaufman, who also directed The Right Stuff. He directed Rising Sun and The Wanderers. Um, but more interestingly, potentially, uh, he wrote the Indiana Jones story and characters. He was one of the creators of the characters and is still to this day credited in every single Indiana Jones film as a creator of the characters. Uh, it stars Donald Sutherland, who is in Animal House, apparently. I completely oh, yeah. forgot. <laughs> He was in Animal House. Um, People nowadays will know him from The Hunger Games. He was also in films like Backdraft and JFK. Um, He was 43 years old when he made this movie already. Um, Also stars Brooke Adams, who was in Days of Heaven, The Dead Zone, and Monk. Indiana Jones. Uh, No, she wasn't. I looked it up. It's someone who looks just like her. No, I looked it up. They have the same laugh. I know. I know. That is so weird. I thought you were right, and I looked it up, and it wasn't there, and I thought, no, she's right. I it just missed it. It looks just like her. You can double check with me if you want, but I could not find it in her resume. Maybe she changed her name. Maybe. It does happen. It does there was, happen. I used to have a big arm um, about the film Empire Records, and there's this guy in it who watches his guar video and then disappears into the TV. And I used to, and then we'd see these other films, and I'd be like, that's the same guy. And he was in uh, Can't Hardly Wait. And no one believed me. And then tonight, yeah, he just changed his name. I sincerely believe it because there's no way that two of these two women exist separately. Like <laughs> there's they, literally it's no one, possible way. One's the hot person and person. one's the other Maybe. person. Yeah. Oh. Maybe. Uh, also stars Jeff Goldblum uh, of Jurassic Park, Independence Day, The Grand Budapest so Hotel, lanky. the upcoming Thor Ragnarok, The Fly, and also The Right Stuff, where he had worked with this director. Uh, Veronica Cartwright, who's in The Birds. Uh, Alien, oh, yeah. The Witches of Eastwick, Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Three of those films are better than one of the others. Um, and it also has Leonard Nimoy, who needs no um, introduction. Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, the original actor of um, uh, Dr. Wills. Is that his name? I've already forgotten. Dr. Mills or Wills? <laughs> already forgotten from last week. Miles. Miles, there it is. <laughs> uh, the original actor of the star of the 1950s version. He's in this movie as well in a little cameo. And so is the director of that movie, Don Siegel who plays a taxi driver mm. in this film. So let's talk a little bit about the year. Very quickly, we'd like to know what was the landscape of the world and movies in 1978. Since none of us were alive. Not quite. I was, I was nearly... You were almost there. I was almost there. Twinkle in your mother's eyes, they say. <laughs> uh, so on January the 1st, right at the top end of 1978, the Copyright Act of 1976 finally took uh, effect and is still the primary backbone of all the copyright in the US to this day. On February the 1st, film director Roman Polanski skips bail and flees to France, which is where we're recording this podcast from, <laughs> uh, after say. pleading guilty to charges of engaging in sex with a 13-year-old girl. Sweet. Only uh, in France. He was in his late 40s. You can't do that in America. <laughs> no, he fleed here. No, no, he fleed to here. From I know, America. I'm saying you oh, can only why do that here. in France. Oh, yeah, because I come you can't in. can't do that. <laughs> He's like, where is this okay? <laughs> oh, boy, we're going to get shut down. <laughs> On February the 5th, uh, through to the 7th, the northeastern U.S. blizzard of 19, no, sorry, 1978 hit New England and New York, killing over 100 people and causing over $520 million of damage. Jeez. On March the 5th, Wuthering Heights was the debut single from Kate Bush, and it charted at number one in the U.K., making her the first female artist in history to have a number one single, which she had wrote. Which Woman is a big power. deal. Only 78 it took. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, December 22nd, John Wayne Gacy was arrested and then subsequently convicted of the murder of 33 young men and boys. 
Uh, and on a lighter note, Space Invaders was released this year. <laughs> but apparently Wikipedia doesn't know when in the year. But it was this year. Stupid Wikipedia. By uh, the Taito Corporation. What was going on with movies in 1978? I hear you say, let me tell you what. These were the top 10 box office movies <laughs> of 1978. At number 10, uh, the biggest independent movie of all time until The Blur Witch came out, Halloween. And number 9 was The Deer Hunter. Number 8 was Revenge of the Pink Panther. Number 7 was Jaws 2. Number six was Hooper. Number five was Heaven Can Wait. Number four was Every Which Way But Loose. Mm. And the top three films of 1978, National Lampoon's Animal House. Of course. Superman and Grease. Yeah. Number one film of the year. Do, 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 do. Invasion of the Body Snatchers Grease did not feature. <laughs> you just want to oh, sing Grease. Maybe. <laughs> Grease was the movie, so when I we went to boarding school, uh, they started introducing girls to more boys' boarding school, and they had a girl house. And every weekend, they would rent out VHS cassettes for each house. And in the girls' house, it was Grease every single weekend. <laughs> I'm not a kidding. promiscuous movie every if you go weekend. back and rewatch it. Yeah. it My is. grandma didn't let me watch it until I was 15, 16. And even then, I kind of did it. When she wasn't around. Because she was like, this is trash. Your mother would not approve. And I was like, this is my mom's favorite movie. <laughs> Do you know what the uh, video was in my house? Passenger 57. Oh my gosh. Oh, Ali Lucky won't know what that is. <laughs> so cl- oh, I can't stand that movie. Yep. Is that the Wesley Snipes one? Yep. Oh, he's so gross. <laughs> I can't stand him. All right. I'm going to give you a plot. We begin in deep space, where a race of gelatinous creatures abandon their dying world. They make their way to Earth and land in San Francisco. They fall on plant leaves, assimilating them and forming small pods with pink flowers. Elizabeth Driscoll, played by Brooke Adams, is an employee of the San Francisco Health Department and one of several people who bring the flowers home. Realizing something has become wrong with her boyfriend, Elizabeth goes to her colleague, Health Inspector Matthew Bennell, played by Donald Sutherland, who suggests that she sees his friend, psychiatric... ah, Psychiatrist, there's the word. <laughs> Dr. David Kibner, who's played by Leonard Nimoy. Kibner says that he's had a number of people coming to him with the same suspicions of their family members or loved ones and suggests that Elizabeth wants to believe that Jeffrey has changed because she is looking for an excuse to get out of their relationship. Meanwhile, Matthew's friend Jack Bellis, how do you say this one? Belichick. Belichick. Played by Jeff Goldblum, a struggling writer who owns a bathhouse with his wife Nancy, played by Veronica Cartwright discovers a deformed body in one of the beds and calls Matthew to investigate. Noticing that the body, which is adult size but lacks distinguishing characteristics, bears a slight resemblance to Jack, Matthew breaks into Elizabeth's home and finds a semi-formed double of her in the bedroom garden. He gets the sleeping Elizabeth to safety, but the duplicate body has disappeared by the time he returns with police. The body at the bathhouse has also mysteriously disappeared. They begin to realize that people are being replaced by extraterrestrial copies while they sleep. Matthew calls several state and federal agencies, but they all tell him not to worry. In addition, people who had earlier claimed that their loved ones had changed seem now to have been converted as well, including, unbeknownst to them, Dr. Kibner. That night, Matthew and his friends are nearly duplicated by the pods while they sleep. The pod people try to raid Matthew's house, but he and his friends are able to escape. During this, they discover that the pod people emit a shrill scream once they learn someone is still human. Jack and Nancy create a diversion within the crowd of pursuing pop people by giving Matthew and Elizabeth time to escape. They're eventually found by the doubles of Jack and Dr. Kibner at the health department building as they're hiding. Kibner's double tells them that the alien species is doing is purely for survival and that they're even doing humanity a favor by ridding them of emotion. 
Matthew and Elizabeth are injected with a sedative to make them sleep. However, however, or, however, having already taken a large dose of speed, the couple overpower them and escape the building. In the stairwell, they find Nancy, who has learned to invade the pod people by hiding all emotion. Outside, Matthew and Elizabeth are exposed as human, with Elizabeth screams after seeing a mutant dog with a man's face. <laughs> they flee and discover a giant warehouse at the docks where the pods are grown. After Matthew and Elizabeth profess their love for each other, Matthew goes out to investigate, only to discover a cargo ship being loaded with hundreds of pods. He returns to find that Elizabeth has fallen asleep, tries to wake her, but her body crumbles to dust, and her naked, soulless double arises, telling him to embrace his fate and sleep. Instead, Matthew sets the warehouse on fire, destroying many pods, doing lots of acrobatics for a 70s movie with Donald Sutherland as your stunt guy. Pack boy! Uh, and he hides from the pod people under a pier when we fade to black. The next morning, Matthew sees Elizabeth, but she is completely oblivious to him. While walking towards City Hill, he is spotted by Nancy, who is still human. She calls out to him, but he responds by pointing to her and emitting the piercing pod people scream. Roll credits. So pretty much the same plot as last week. Lots of the same beats, lots of the same scenes, the same locations, different character names. Uh, a couple of the same ones chucked in here and there. Uh, Belichick is, is one of the same. Banal. Banal is the same, yeah. Is yep, same? Yep. Um, but some interesting changes in the dynamic between characters, for sure. Uh, which I think, looking at it now, we're trying to put like a writer-director head on. I'm really impressed with both how closely they stuck to the original and how at the same time they weren't just tempted into replicating you know the how the friends all played off of each other right there's a very different vibe to everybody in this film and their relationships to each other and yeah the sort of the history between people i think is really well baked in from the start here yeah um which i guess is following on from that first film you're kind of thrown into a group of people who already have relationships with each other um and we've just got to sort of catch up with who likes who, who hates who, why. You're looking at your notes, Ali. You got something to jump straight in with? No, no, no. I'm nodding my head along. I agree. Get in late. Um, so, yeah. I'm, I, uh, but let's... Okay, but let's trek straight back then to the beginning of the movie. So, in the original one we're talking about, we open with the clouds in the sky as a little nod to where the aliens came from. And we don't really get much more info in the original sure. film. Right. This one, we open literally in space which is something that me and Katie have been seeing a lot of recently because yes. we've been watching 80s B-movies and they all seem to start Watching movies that are like in space. meteor from somewhere or <laughs> night of something meteors. Um, yeah, so this was big at the time doing science fiction in this way. Um, so it was really a great way to hook in your audience in the late 70s and then going into 80s. Start in space, bring it down to Earth, let them know something's going to be happening later on. Right. Um, and let's bear in mind, a lot of these people probably hadn't seen the original. Like yeah. I f the crowd for this, the demographic is teenagers, 20-somethings, maybe early 30s. They wouldn't have been alive if they had. They probably would have been too young to have been allowed to watch the 50s one. And it's easy to forget that it was, now it's much easier to access all this content. In the 70s, it's much harder to dig out yeah. a 1950s film and rewatch it. Yeah, your dad has it on like a reel-to-reel -reel player. And he's like, watch <laughs> yeah. this movie. And you're like, duh, cool, dad. Don't want to watch it. So it was an interesting time to make remakes because nowadays we can always compare everything. In those days, it was a little bit harder. Um, so it's potentially a bit more valid. That said, it also had been a long time, 22 years, um, which I feel is a good that amount of time. That gives it its due. Sure. <laughs> before you remake a movie. Yes. 
this one starts right out in space. We're getting to see, yeah, the, what I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast that kind of wrote me in as a teenager. These weird, surreal imagery. Yeah, I like. I have it written down as like balloon animal smoke I wrote the bubbles. same thing too. I wrote yeah. alien balloon animal. Yeah, <laughs> which was, but that was so cool. It was such an interesting, like image to work like to just jump right in on it and you're on an actual planet sort of thing i mean you don't really see your terrain but and then it just starts to sort of break off and waft into space and i just thought that was such a great organic sort of way of doing it like truly organic literally because um then it kind of feels more perch by chance that they end up on earth and then particularly in San Francisco. And then it was really smart. I thought of them to choose a place where it rains a lot, which is San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I thought i like to me that all was very seamless and believable. I really enjoyed. And then the, the music was really cool because it kind of starts really melodic and magical and fantasy based. And then it just gets really screechy and eerie and like the same violins that were being really smooth and cool are becoming really scratchy and high pitched. And so you kind of start where you're like, Oh, cool. It's pretty space. And then it's like, no, this is something that's going to start off as pretty and then going to turn into something that's more possibly evil. Yeah. I've got the same notes to do with the music. Like it was interesting because yeah, it goes from creepy to then triumphant to then horror and then classic. And, yeah. And it really moves through so many different emotions in this opening sequence. As, yeah, we just see it like in the first five minutes of this movie, it explains more to me than the entirety of the last movie. Exactly. Yeah. Without any Absolutely. words, no dialogue. It just shows in a very realistic, believable way, this organism is floating through space from one planet yeah. that's dying through spectrums, landing into Earth coming down into rain clouds, getting fused into water, raining onto the leaves. And then you see these kind of weird sort of snot bubbles growing with like tendrils and coming out from them. And what's so good about the design of these is like, it looks exactly like something you see on a plant and you go, oh, that looks gross. And you don't think anything else of it. You was like, that looks weird. And you know in your head it's like, you're like, I just don't have that information in my head. So I accept it and I move on. (laughs) And that's exactly how it looks. And it's so fucking cool. Yeah. And then someone picks one of the flowers immediately and like starts sniffing it. And the whole movie is just set up. Like you're immediately, you understand what's going on. If you'd never seen the original, you'd still understand. And it's very elegant and just great. And the mood's, yeah, fantastic. Um, and then you immediately get into the sound design on this film, which is so cool. And I don't really know why we have this shot, but I love it. I don't know if you guys remember or noticed it, but you immediately go from that person picking up the flower and smelling it to then this creepy swing sound. And then there's yeah, a priest on right. a swing yep. and it just gradually like <laughs> zooms in on them and like it sets the mood perfectly. Don't know what it's got to do with the priest. Maybe it's trying to say he's already one of them. I don't know. It seems a bit soon cause they've just grown. Yeah. Right. Um, very weird shot, but cool mood (laughs) yeah i noted that too right off the bat which one it's immediately better off the bat it gives you more information all of your questions are answered before you really even know that they needed to be answered and then later on when you start finding things out you're like oh that makes more sense and all of the shots are so much better off the bat like at one you see the priest swinging and then at one point you're on the swing like looking back at them and the camera's swinging and then even like the brilliance of it being set in San Francisco is it's so hilly. So you're standing on the surface and you're like the camera is level, but because everything's elevated, Slanted. like on an incline, right. it just feels off. So it yeah, already feels eerie. True. It already feels weird. Yeah. And it's so 
so smart yeah maybe that's the whole thing with the priest is that he's literally that should be an image of cheerfulness that it's like oh children priests swinging they're all at the playground and yet it's just like everything just feels like it throws her and she doesn't even know why it's throwing her you well, know it's, it's weird just... i've watched this film like i said maybe a dozen times i've never questioned that beginning bit and this was the first time looking at it with this critical head on i was like mm-hmm. what is this about like because yeah then you go into the pov of the priest like you said yeah very weird shot very cool mm-hmm. and i remember before i'm just kind of carried away with all oh, these are cool shots and a cool mood but when you're looking at it narratively i'm like that's telling me that he's a pod person yeah. when you go back to it like that's telling me he's already one of them which maybe like, it's entirely maybe possible it's like, yeah. i mean it could have just been that one of them landed really close to his proximity or something yeah. and just Happened or even like in his ear or you know just like attacked him personally yeah. instead of going for the plant um so we we like because that's one of the big changes here is we're not in small town america anymore we're in one of the biggest cities in america um uh, thriving like so it's such a huge playground to play with here mm-hmm. it's not anymore about small town sort of invasion and and fear and paranoia it's about that in a city which is a very different way to play it for me it does coin more into yeah what i was talking about like as someone who didn't like or feel comfortable in crowds of people cities were more scary to me particularly when i was 17 18 so this plays into the fear of it a lot a lot more Mm -hmm. um, because you have no clue who on the street Um, and i think the genius is something that we'll get to uh, very shortly actually but to do with mayhem can be happening in a city and you just accept it whereas if it's in a small town something bad happens everybody knows about it everyone's going to want to get involved everyone's suspicious right and it's a lot more obvious yeah you know because people know everyone everyone knows what everyone's meant to be doing and saying and acting it feels is very much the difference between 1950s and 90s uh, 70s to 80s america as well definitely like where the focus is it's no longer on the small towns in america it's now on the cities mm-hmm. which are driving like the corporations and the commercialism that yeah. you you guys are kind of moving into at that period coming out of the vietnam war so i feel that's definitely like reflecting the time well um which i think the original probably did i just don't know enough about the 50s but from what i know and to do yeah communism i feel they're both doing good bubble representations which is what the best science fiction horror should be like it should have some reflection on the time that you're living in and the paranoias and fears of that time right um and we immediately get these great shots which i'd forgotten how good the shots are in this movie but you get these great slow shots as she's talking to her boyfriend about the flower that she just found and how she doesn't recognize it and it's using all these reflections yeah yeah in the house so you many reflections hanging off. not yeah. even at the beginning but throughout the whole movie yeah. I noticed it. There's so much mirror play and mm-hmm. it, like opening doors and things and you just catching glimpses of people or even just like themselves reflecting by looking into mirrors. And it's like and I know that it's like subconsciously playing with like how you see yourself and who, what really makes you you or would you even know, you know, if you were different or yeah. these things and it's you know, it, even if it was staring right back at you in the mirror, etc. It's just it was really really cool. And they're great, like just confident long shots as well, like great premiums. I, I really realized watching this film, the little things that had somehow sunk into my head as well and influenced me with anything I'm trying to do, but like yeah. which I didn't even realize. Um, so it was kind of cool to come back to this and look at it in that way. Yeah. Um, and then, but it takes a while. And to, can I get this the question for you guys? Is who do you feel is the lead in this movie? Because she's the first one we're introduced to. Mm-hmm. Donald Sutherland is kind of playing the Dr. Miles part, but he's a very different he's not a doctor at all he's a very Mm -hmm. different type of role a very different type of character as well 
do you is donald the lead i think she i for me she was the lead at the beginning because she is your authority um she's like the biologist she's the one who's informed about the plants and she knows what's going on she knows that something is off right from the beginning it's obviously not something huge for her it's just like oh this weird plant i found like it must be this um i can't remember the terminology she uses but it's you know basically like uh, a latcher like it take like what, what is the word for that where it like mutates onto other plants um and she has a specific term for it but she's not that bothered she just wants out of her professional interest she wants to look into it further mm-hmm. um but for me she was because you know a you're with her at the beginning um and you never really lose her she's with you throughout most of it it's weird because immediately off the bat i wanted to say him but then i'm saying that because of the ending and so it's hard because you do start with her and you're seeing her life first and understanding Mm -hmm. who she is first and she's the one who is the biologist and is studying and it's like through her that you meet donald sutherland yeah so it's hard i don't know i think maybe at the beginning of the film i would have said her but having seen the whole thing and seeing that we're with him at the end of it it makes me think it was him yeah i agree i think it's also kind of cool with this is that unlike the last film we're being brought in with a character that makes sense like it's a character that yeah she's a botanist and she's involved with this stuff so she would be one of the first people to notice a botanist. it i said biologist wrong word uh, <laughs> well i think it's well, at least a type of biology oh. um but yeah it's like and i like that they're bringing us in with the natural character like this is the, your gateway in like it's yeah. not donald because he's a health food inspector yeah it wouldn't make sense to start with him no at all um and it did i mean i guess in the 50s one it did make sense that people would be going to their doctor at that point and you know we're but this is a cool in i find to immediately introduce the plant and people interacting with it and they don't know what it is um and whether you've seen the original or not i feel as the audience you've just seen it come from space so you're already like wary of it mm-hmm. um and i think it's a great way to build suspense and yeah it's a great way then to to introduce donald sutherland um who for sure at the time you know was was a burgeoning um you know what it wasn't even burgeoning he was a great star at the time right. um so it's kind of cool to get him so late as well yeah. and like they really just bring in this ensemble cast in a very organic way and they keep sort of passing the torch back and forth between them and for me unlike the original where for sure those two were my leads in particular miles in this one i'm really into all the characters that they get involved one by one um so yeah our introduction to donald sutherland is through a peephole which is another (laughs) great shot as he's peering in uh doing a run on the health uh sorry department of health for a restaurant where he finds a rat turd in the soup um and he's really it's weird because he's really hard to like at first because he's portrayed as the dick yeah. like he's portrayed as very sort of i would stern. i would not say that i'd say he's my hero if i go to that <laughs> french restaurant i would be super happy that he's that thorough and he's not just like oh i'm sure it's fine but he's like but he's humorless in that first scene oh yeah like there's nothing it's hard for us to attach to it i mean i'm not saying we like them no but i know i don't think we necessarily for me anyway don't like him until very soon, I think they're smart. They didn't bring him out and his windshield smashed by one of the cooks. And it's great because for the whole film, it's still there. Like yeah. this cracked windshield yeah. is just always there. It's just a reminder of his just simple humanity <laughs> and the shit he has to go through every day. Yeah, but day. again, like that I loved because it was, it was again, your look, like your focus or your viewpoint of things is, you know, you're looking at things broken. 
but you're looking at the people who are meant to be your heroes through the story and you're looking at them literally through something fractured yeah exactly no that's true i think it i think it works in in so many ways i think it's a great like metaphor for things right it tells us a lot about him as a character as well it's like he's not that person that it matters so much to him that he has to go out and get that fixed right away yeah yeah, but yeah. I, and I take that simply as because it happens so much. Yeah. I just take that as because you're introduced to him, you're like, well, who is this guy? It's a funny way to introduce him. I don't really like him. And then they do that, and I'm immediately feel sorry for him, and I'm immediately like, on board. And he's just such a weird character. Like when he's home in this house, and he's just this sort of strange hippie bachelor, and yeah. he's, the way he's cooking his foods, and like, <laughs> oh, he's just he's great. I love yeah. him. Um, his big jacket. <laughs> Um, and then as he's driving through the city, we're immediately getting like, yeah, those police sirens going. And it's great because particularly when you come back to this film, I don't think I got it the first time, but when I came back like to see it again, you're like, you are immediately just alert of everything around you. Like, is that it happening around you? And it's really smart because it's just in, this, in like we're saying, in a bigger city, you can get away with all this stuff. You can have sirens and cars just running by and mm-hmm. you can, no one would notice or care. Right. Um, but if the audience starts to notice this, you're building up tension well, we're not getting information he's not getting. We're just interpreting it in a different way right. that makes it scarier for us while well, he just has no clue. Um, there are great little touches as well, like when she's on the phone. I don't know why they do it, but it's so cool. Like those, those phones you pull out from the wall and they yeah. suck the lead back in and you get this tight shot of too. it going oh, yeah. into yeah. the wall. And it like sits there for a half a second just yeah. looking at it having been sucked into the wall and, you, and then it just goes on and you're like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> But it's great. And great. They're just like these tangible connections to the world and the time. And then just things that just put you on edge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then just that subtle thing, like her boyfriend sleeping and you've got the flower in the water by the bed um, next to her. And then when she wakes up, the glass is just gone and Jeffrey's just clearing up the glass from the floor. And again, on first viewing, if you haven't watched the 50s one, if you didn't know anything about this, you don't know. Like you really don't know what you don't take yeah, that in any other way. The you've seen the the, the dynamic between, between the them. two of them. You've seen Jeffrey yeah. as being this this really like oafish frat boy sort of <laughs> sport focused, you know, nonchalant boyfriend who obviously really loves her. Like mm-hmm. he he's very affectionate towards her and he's very physically affectionate. Um and they have that sort of relationship and that dynamic and you don't really question her love for him even because as prosaic and as simple as that love is like you can tell they're two people that actually really care about each other yeah um and so it's when he is so staunch the next morning it, there is that immediate sort of like roboticness to him um no that, completely i think it gets you suspicious and i yeah. think you know you're into a movie Plus he doesn't even seem like the kind of guy that would be cleaning up after if he would have knocked something over <laughs> go, he would have been like yo babe like watch out for that glass on the carpet i have to go to work or yeah something no i'm just end up coming into it someone who like as a teenager as well i wasn't really even aware of the sort of like guys or pod people and things oh, okay so you watch it and it's like i don't know what's going on obviously something weird is going on yeah right but when you understand all the pieces like you know clearing up the glass and again, this scene is the second part of all that we need, basically, because unlike the original where we kept moaning about, well, what happens? Is mm-hmm. there a second body? Is it just taking you over? Where does that other body go to? Like, we didn't understand the correlation of how it just actually happens, how close do they have to be? We know now the plant has to be right near you. We don't yet see how it attaches or anything. And then the next morning, clears up the glass, and then he goes outside and waits for this dumpster to come and take something away. And it's not till later in the film that he realizes, oh, these are the bodies. He's taking his own yeah. body and putting it in the dumpster. 
And it's like, it's just giving you everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's showing it to us, but it's giving it to us too early, which is kind of great, I think, as a writer. Yeah. To be, I'm going to give you all the information, but too early, so it means nothing to you, really. Right. And then later on, when you kind of come back, yeah, that'll all piece together. Um, yeah, so for me, it's just immediately way more satisfying as well. Even without yeah. the artistry, even without the acting and the characters and all the other stuff I'm liking about this movie, I just have better storytelling. Yeah, going just on. the writing is so much smarter off the bat. Right. But I think even though, yeah, without those things being talked about directly, you're with her. And I think that, again, that's reestablishing her as your lead because she's the first one to start to pick up on these things. She's the first one. Yeah, she's pretty immediately suspicious yeah, she, of it. Even when she's walking around, I think it was like the first day after Jeffrey has, you know, she starts to notice he's off. You'd see like little children picking the flowers and they're with their teacher and the teacher is, you know, kind of looking at her strangely and she just starts to get this uneasiness walking to work the next day. You know, she just has this kind of... Yeah, you get people literally people. running and screaming on the streets yeah. at one point. And mm-hmm. it's like, that could but just be... But then she looks yeah. across and like everyone just kind of looks kind of vague. And that could have been a very normal morning. And yet she just starts to feel off kilter. Yeah. And you get that with her, you know, and you know more than she does a little bit. So you, you know, you start to fear for her. So it's, I thought it was great. Like just that lead up and that, the substantiating something in with one person. Because yeah. obviously it starts to build her world around her with the people. But I think along, until you really get invested in those other characters, you're with her solely. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's what, exactly what I mean. It's like for me, even now it'd be the same, but as a teenager in particular, like you're just feeling yeah. that disconnection that she's getting from the world around mm-hmm. her. Um, which I think is something most people at some point in their life can connect with in one way or another, uh, particularly if you've lived in the city. It's that feeling of just, yeah, I'm completely disconnected. I'm like surrounded by people and nobody's noticing that I right. exist. And it's really creepy and they do a great job of getting under the skin with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then we get this this scene where she hugs her husband as he goes off to a secret meeting. And um, I found it weird in this watching because you get like the music changes and her reaction lets us know that there's definitely something off. And on this time watching, I was like, what is it? And I thought, well, they must explain it later. And you kind of do. I'm going to skip, I guess, a little bit in the story because shortly after she meets somebody else who's freaking out about her husband and she says to them, she's talking about a scar that's on someone's back of the neck, which you're like, well, that's a weird similarity to have. Like mm-hmm. both of the husbands maybe it was a scar on the back of his neck or something. And then she says, oh, and it's gone. You found that it's not there anymore. She's like, no, it's there. It's still exactly the same. Which then to me, I was like, well, then what was that shot about? That's the, uh, one of the few bits in the film that I'm really confused about. They make it very clear from the music and her reaction that she hugs her husband, she kind of strokes the back of his neck, and then she freaks out. Like she knows there's something wrong. But I don't know what it is. I just assumed it was her, like him hugging her back and not necessarily really hugging her back, just kind of going with the motions and not okay. like being a hug that you would have with someone you're familiar and comfortable with. Okay. It's just weird, though, then, that later on she gets that yeah, wrong that with comment. the person. Because it makes you feel like, oh, did something change with your version, your pod person? Yeah. Because the whole point is they are identical replicas. But then they never reference a scar or anything again later on, no. do they? I mean, it's possible it was a scene that was cut. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It could just be a remnant or something. But it was one of the few bits in this film that did confuse me. Yeah. Because um, I was getting it anyway that she was sensing something was wrong with him. Like, he's obviously, he was being very weird straight yeah. away. So. So she goes and sees uh, Sutherland. Uh, they have a great relationship. 
like very a, flirty yeah, yeah it is very flirty very beginning. especially i feel like he's pretty yeah like right when i was watching it i was like that was pretty brave of you sir but he's so. kind of like that that friend who it's obvious if she wasn't with someone that he would ask her out but he's constantly like oh you should leave him like he does it in yeah. this very like ha 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 way but he does he's also very yeah you know like, he's serious for you sure. can tell he never is like oh i'm just kidding he is you can tell he's, he's great. really he into her. Yeah. But it's kind of cool because they are so relaxed about it. Like, yeah. again, I think like the original one, they found an interesting dynamic mm-hmm. to do. Like that first proper scene when she goes see him there and they're talking about her husband being a bit weird. Um, he kept, he says like, do the thing with her eyes. And she does that oh, weird yeah. thing with her eyes. It's so that, weird. And yeah. it's so great. Weird. And you can't script that. Like that's gotta no. be, hey, what weird thing can you do that we can yeah. put into this? <laughs> Um, or just something she did one day on set and they're like, yeah, put that in. That would be a fun yeah. little, you know, thing. And then he says to him, so he says to her, what time, um, should you be getting back? And she says, well, my, my boyfriend said not to wait up for him. And so then Donald just goes, you want some more wine? And does yeah. a little smile. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like playful and they both, there's no hiddenness about it. No. Like yeah. he's so upfront about it. It's kind of cool. But okay. yeah, they're both okay with him, both comfortable with him. Yeah, yeah. she knows it that she's, he's into her, but she doesn't really care. But then he knows, again, it but he's not like heartbroken. Reasserts yeah, not... how she does actually love her boyfriend. Like yeah. it's like it's kind of nice because even though, because you kind of see that he only shows that side of her of himself to her, and so then it like further reinstates how much how secure she is in her current relationship. Yeah, so. yeah, completely. But I, th- I think it's. It's just a cool, realistic way to show friends yeah. as well. Um, in terms of, yeah, like you, normally you would have him being like really heartbroken about her with this other guy and you get the feeling of like he doesn't really care. He just but you of... needed it to be just cool enough that they really still liked each other's company and they yeah. knew yeah. each other well enough that, you know, the the resulting events of this story are enough to like them being together isn't awkward. Yeah. yeah, you know, and you want to be with them because you like both of them. Well, it's very remnants of the seventies. I feel it's like yeah. we're best friends, and we would totally be screwing if you didn't right. have a boyfriend. And, and if your boyfriend is into it, we might be doing like yeah. three threesome <laughs> shit or something. Exactly. But yeah, um, yeah. So then Donald goes to the dry cleaners in a weird but spooky scene. I feel <laughs> yeah. where the Chinese the scene was man super just goes, "You a doctor? You a doctor?" <laughs> like, well, I am the health inspector, yeah. <laughs> so no, I basically. Um, I guess a type of, uh, he's a biological doctor, I guess, because he Not works. Not really. You know they, nothing about. No, but they work in like, I mean, I guess you can, you work in the food industry. Maybe you yeah, know something about this. You literally but take he goes a to test. labs and like. He goes to. Yeah. Her. He goes like, she's his tester for food yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he just has an office. He doesn't really work in the lab. He's okay. never in a lab coat. He's just, he has an office from which, you know, he ruins restaurants lives <laughs> <laughs> things though but they're rat poop in it so. i know i'm saying um great yeah th- but this guy just goes okay you're a doctor and then just said my wife she's not my wife she's not my wife it's like why did she tell this guy right there yeah, yeah. she's just glare and that's the only time so far in either of the films i feel where you get a pop person like looking just staring them down you like making like it so lady clear would be like that <laughs> she's <laughs> super scary i feel like i've met women like that before where they just don't say anything and they just could like rip just out your shuffle soul sideways with their eyes. into the room <laughs> yeah. behind the curtain just staring at you from behind the clear plastic if i remember this like when i was 17 that, that guy's voice did creep me out it's like she's not my wife she's not my and he just backs away <laughs> right. into the dry cleaning <laughs> to hide behind the shirts because i liked her initially because she's like 
what is that? He's like, oh, I have a coffee stain on this one shirt. She's like, that not coffee. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it was just, very much like a personality. She just totally someone. seemed like that was her. Very San Francisco <laughs> as well. That's great. It's so funny. Uh, and he comes out of there and he's just standing again, like as if we didn't get enough at the beginning for repeat viewings. He comes out and he's standing literally next to the garbage truck as they're disposing yeah. of the bodies in yeah. the garbage truck. He's basically leaning against it. Um, getting rid of all the evidence and it's all right there and he doesn't even notice. And it's love... repeated so often. It's yeah. I was trying to keep track. I think it's like every other shot has a garbage truck somewhere in it at, from that point on, from the, watching her boyfriend put you know, the yeah. dust or whatever into the first one. It's like it, they're ever present. And it's great because it's just like the whole thing of hiding in, yeah. in plain sight. In plain yeah. sight. And it works perfectly in this because even yeah. as a viewer, you know what to what to expect. And there's still points where, you know, on the first viewing in particular, like you don't notice this stuff as much. Interestingly, one of my thoughts was that so the pod people would have had to target the garbage men first. <laughs> That's true. Because That's true. otherwise your whole plan would have fallen apart. Yes, and you're getting into sophisticated design with exactly. how they attack people. Yep. Go for the priest first on the swing. Apparently, he's priests key. He's garbage men. How do you get to garbage men? Always through their priests. <laughs> well, who do That's... people listen to? People listen to their priests at the church they go to. Exactly. When you go into the, the confession it, box, then... pod in the box. <laughs> you spend ages it, talking and you, you open up that little window. It's just a pod looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Or you could just go take them while sleep. they're in confession. Yep. They like go in a normal person, exactly. come out a pod person. And the other yeah. side, it could be you're talking to yourself on the other yeah. side. Ooh. I think we just made like the Wayne Brothers version. Right. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, then Don can't get hold of Elizabeth. She turns up crying and scared. And then you get that cool, ominous, very obvious, but shot of the man cleaning the floors. Do you remember that? He's got like. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the camera's just pulling in towards him and he's just doing it just too perfectly, yeah. basically, right and left. And it's just too perfect that he like feels off and weird. And yeah. yeah. It feels like a reversal shot to me as well because it's just something weird about that shot. Mm. It's cool. It's the first boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't even don't mention that word. But when even do- before then, um, I even have, I wrote it down because it was so cool. I loved, because you see the first day that she walks, or they both walk to work and they both have like this sort of, um, pattern to their day without even realizing it. You know, they like say hi to the same people. They see the same things occurring. And there's just these little touches that start to evolve as the story progresses. And it's not all at once. It's like one day it'll be one thing is a little bit off. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, there's the dog with the banjo player and the dog is barking one day when normally the dog is like really chill and, or she just starts to notice in people's faces that normally are very cheerful, that they're very stoic and calm. And, so it's just, it was really cool. I thought that was a great, nice, beautiful touch to yeah. kind of throw in there. Because then it does, it starts making you question your routine and you look at people a little bit differently. And I, I thought it was just a great like psychological yeah. inkling into Definitely. that stuff. Um, yeah. And then she kind of, she says to him that she keeps seeing these people recognizing each other, like you're saying. Yeah. And, she thinks that there's a conspiracy and she went to follow Jeffrey at his office and she watched him walking around uh, to a building site with a nurse and different people from different walks of life and they're passing items back and forth and mm-hmm. freaking her out. And this leads me into my biggest problem with this movie. Um, and I don't have many, but for sure, my biggest problem, and I think I've thought it before, but this is my first time really crystallizing it, is we have quite a lot of bits in the movie like this bit where she's watching them moving from one place to another passing these pods like back and forth and stuff and there's a bit later and i can't remember the exact bit where they do it we just like what do you 
why? Like, why are they passing pods one way and then someone else passes it back to them? They seem to end up with the same amount of pods as they started with. Like, it's, I don't understand why you'd need a network of people to, surely the pods will be flowing one direction only, but they seem to be flowing in multiple ways. It's like a drug dealer selling his drugs and then buying it back off of someone else later on that day. It doesn't make any sense. To me, how, what I thought of like that was that the ones who'd been turned knew who needed to be turned. And so it was like they were taking it home to their wife or they were taking it home to yeah, children. Yeah, but you see them then like pass it, like like they would go out with it and then they'd get it back off someone at another point. It would be in, like in a different trip. one. Yeah. And it's like, why? Well, I mean, maybe, are there different types of pods? Maybe, that was the only thing I could think of. Yeah, maybe it is, you know, because we, as we were discussing in the first film, you're like, how does it know which one it's choosing or it's making and it's like maybe they're hinting at the idea that it's like you have your own certain pod you think pods are classist maybe <laughs> it's like, so these are <laughs> the working people pods. these well, are the bankers i mean it only it does make practical sense that like kids would have different ones than adults would then maybe like scientists have different pods or like there are different classes just as there are different classes of people you know, yeah. like the really smart people Maybe. get these and the really dumb people get these. And, it's definitely you don't not clarified them. here, though. It's definitely no. like, it's it's one of the things I never noticed. It never bothered me. You just see people passing things back. And yeah. this time I was like, what are they actually doing? And I, I started following it for the edit. I was yeah. like, this doesn't make any sense. I think it's yeah. meant to be more of like visual eeriness. Than yeah, it's I feel like showing that it's spreading. I yeah. Think. yeah, I think they're generally just like, yeah, let's get lots of shots of this going on. It's the kind of decision you make. And do you and think this will translate something? It does. But when you look at it too close, it's like this actually means nothing. Well, and then they're not talking, which makes it really weird. Like they're just speechlessly That gives you the idea that they should up. be telepathic. Right which they're not as we'll get to again yeah. at the end of this movie right um yeah you're definitely getting that hive mind mentality mm -hmm. from them which i feel is a strange thing to bring up when they don't follow through with that um then we get um yeah a great scene in the car as he starts to tell a joke uh to her <laughs> so and it's so good i love it and then at the end of it she's just about to give us the punchline she goes oh no you've told me this one before and we never get the punchline <laughs> well, and then he's like do you want me to tell it to you again and then like you get inter they get interrupted yeah well no no she says to him like because he said do you want me to tell it to you again and, like they go through it and then yeah and then she just takes away like the mm -hmm. punchline at the end of it. and then the lead from the original movie comes smacking on their car, yeah. says the same lines as he did at the end of the last movie. Obviously, it's something I never got in all my previous viewings of this. And weirdly, it didn't stand out. It was weird. Like, it, normally, if you get a cameo like this, it's that forced. If you watch it without knowing what it's nodding to, it feels weird. Yeah. It's like a sore thumb. But I never had a problem with this scene before. And now it means something to me, which is great. Mm -hmm. He escaped the hospital. You did before escape the hospital. And the same stuff happens. And you're still just running from freeway yep. to freeway for 22 <laughs> years. everybody know. <laughs> and he still looks the same. He looked great. Yeah, no, he did look the same. You could recognize or him right away. you could go even so far as to say, like, wherever he was. Because did it say where they were in the first one? In California in somewhere, Cal yeah. but not oh, where. Okay. Well, maybe it's only just now reached San Francisco. Maybe. And he's still it took his it whole fucking life. time. This is the slowest world invasion. He, he hasn't it. gone to sleep yet. He's still a human. He's still crazy. <laughs> That's why he looks so terrible. <laughs> it's also great to set this in San Francisco because there's so many crazy people um, on the streets. Yeah, that you don't question any yeah, of it. Like, exactly. why get away from my car? Thank yeah. you. Um, and then he gets hit by. Like, then he like yeah, he runs away from them, and it's great because you just see it from their perspective in the car. He, he then gets hit by something. You saw these people running. You see the policeman come. You get this really 
cheesy monologue over the top of it from Donald Sutherland. He's like, oh, here come the police. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there he went. Oh, I wonder what happened. Is he okay? <laughs> He's like talking you for it like commentary. But he does have a real reaction. I do remember that, which I liked because you hear the like an accident or a commotion. Like he, the guy got hit by the car, whatever. And Donald Sutherland's like, oh my God. Like, it's actually really downplayed though, like, which right. I agree is real, but he's just kind of like, oh my God. And he's not like But it too shows, big. you know, real uh, like emotion instead of just being like, oh, do, do, do. Yeah. You know, as though that stuff does happen every day because that was beyond, yeah. you know, him jumping on the life. car. It's like, yeah, that shit happens yeah, in big yeah. cities. But yeah, actually, because the people run after that guy before he even gets hit by the car. You see like this little yeah. mob kind of running after him and it's just this super eerie and then they're just scene. standing over him as you drive by it it's a yeah. really great way to keep the camera inside the car the whole time mm-hmm. to show it us from their perspective and yeah the eerie kind of correlation of the events that happen yeah yeah i really like that scene um but it does feel i mean my only problem with all these things because you get like then the scene with like the bus and everyone's on the bus looks in ubiquitous and it does feel like the whole city's already taken like it really does it doesn't feel, it feels like, or is it just meant to be these big sectors maybe of the city have been taken? Well, I think it's meant to start to hint at kind of what you were talking about before, where because people are so numb for the most part in life, like in the world, that you can't tell, Mm. you know, like maybe they can't even tell between themselves at this point because it's not so dominant. And so it's like those the pod people could be mixed in with those people on the bus, but everyone just looks so vacant on a bus. Mm-hmm. You know, no one really registers or looks up or interacts when you're on a bus yeah. or in those big group settings. Everyone's just kind of numb and dull. Yeah, it is definitely something we're not getting much information on. And I'm kind of fine with it at the moment, I guess. Like, I'd be interested if they deal with it more than the others. But mm-hmm. yeah, how much are they really communicating to each other? Right. How much do they really know just by looking at someone if that's a pod person or not? Or... Yeah. Um, but they go to the book released from Leonard Nimoy. Um, Nimoy. Nimoy, sorry. It's in my fucking order correct. I'm just reading what it tells me this week. Um, and a woman's crying to him. She doesn't believe her husband's a husband. This is what we're talking about earlier when Elizabeth overhears it and says, oh, was this scar like not there? And she goes, no, it was exactly the same. And that's what was weird. Um, we get a great warped mirror showing Jeff Goldblum's face. <laughs> it's yeah. one, like one eyeball's just way off. It's fantastic. Um, and Nimoy uh, convinces Elizabeth to reconsider her feelings maybe centered around a desire to leave her relationship Belichick uh, then goes to his mud baths um, where we learn he owns a mud bath which is he's so great in that scene though with the, like the party and all of his sorry bug all of his commentary and he's everyone's like having separate conversations and he's still just talking over everybody about yeah. Oh, yeah. what he's upset about and no one's really acknowledging his comments. Yeah, no, he's so funny. Absolutely brilliant. And then like he's gets sort of sent off on the center. Someone wants to talk. To I him know. I love like that. It's the only way to get him to shut up is to be like, oh, there's a woman inside who wants to talk to you about your book. And he's like, what? Oh. He just runs off. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, I love Jeff Goldblum pretty much anything so he does. Brilliant. This is other than Jurassic Park, probably my favorite oh, Jeff Goldblum man. role. He just, there's so much joy that comes from a character that in the original film, I barely remember and we just watched it last week. You know, yeah. this yeah. is, he just put some, and you could still play this role pretty just mm-hmm. placidly. Mm-hmm. And he just makes it sizzle the yeah. whole time. He could be so annoying and yet you actually really like him yeah. somehow just because it's him. Like the way he carries himself and his gesturing and, 
just the way that he delivers the lines is just like you almost like him because of how annoying he is which yeah. is really really hard for an actor i would think and you're like, placing no him against really be him you're placing him against movie. leonard nimoy and yeah. who's a real prick in this film right for the most part and jeff goldblum's you know he's an underdog in this movie like if he was the success if the roles are reversed and he was mm-hmm. a successful writer he wouldn't be as enjoyable yeah. it's because he's the guy who no one wants to talk to at the party he's <laughs> <Yeah>. great <laughs> um yeah, so his girlfriend Nancy is his wife or his I think girlfriend? It's his wife. Yeah, I think yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a wife in the original, so probably. Yeah. Uh, she likes playing music to her plants in the mud baths, <laughs> and the music stimulates their growth. It's a great little nod, and she says some. Yeah, one of her guests brought her this new flower plant, mm-hmm. which is obviously one of the pods. It's just wonderful how they keep plants ever present, you know, and they they're kind of everywhere because even having, um, I can't remember the lead girl's name. Um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth yeah. having her be the botanist and her house is just packed to the brim with plants. Yeah. And so you're just constantly, you're never really safe yeah. because you realize that, you know, the plants are everywhere. Yeah. It's like day of the Triffids. Yeah. Um, Donald drops Elizabeth off at home and they share this really nice moment. Um, and Jeffrey's hiding in the, in the room, like waiting for her. And he's like behind the wall, just sort of listening to the conversation waiting to pod her up um yeah and then you get uh the, the i was noticing the music in this film it goes to real fucking jazz at points mm-hmm. which is really cool um and there's like really deep bass brass for some of the horror elements and stuff it's very unconventional soundtrack um not at all normal for a science fiction or a horror film and it really stands out in some scenes in a good way uh, but back in the mud baths, we've got Nancy Belichick uh, finds a plant version of Goldblum who appears uh, with a nosebleed and they call Matthew over to take a look at it. So this for me was a critical point in the 50s film is you get that secondary body which kind of looks like the guy that's meant to look like Belichick but it's obviously fully formed and they stand there in front of it. He looks down and goes, well, clearly it has the internal organs of a normal person mm-hmm. and it doesn't quite have your features yet, but it's going to. And you're like, well, for starters, how do you know it has internal yeah. features? For second, all the features are there because mm-hmm. that's just a person lying on the slab. <laughs> yeah. This, like, the effects work awesome. Yeah. It's so cool. Like, I don't think, um, if I'm wrong, I don't think anyone could have any problems with how they display the pod people in this film. Yeah. It's icky and gross and just cobwebby, yeah. slimy. Just yeah. that hair. Or yeah, it the doesn't white even look hair like hair. It. It's just like this fluff, but when, it's yeah, so Yeah, she's weird. describing it to the guy that they bring in later. She's like, it's a monster. It has hair yeah. all over yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got like, no, like the, the hands with no nails on and stuff. Yeah. It's just yeah. creepy. Yeah. Um, but, it just looks like Play-Doh or something that's not quite finished. Do we believe in Donald Sutherland assessing the in a fairly similar scene, kind of looking at it and going, well, this is clearly has the internal organs <laughs> of a human. Again. I believe that in the scene. My health inspector training lets me know <laughs> yeah. that exactly. this human. There is rat poop in this human. <laughs> right. I don't know why I believe him, but I do. I don't know if it's just that he's a better actor. I don't know if it's just that the context makes it work. But it's pretty much an identical scene to the original yeah. one that we all had a problem with. The movie's also just been set up so much better before this that you already are with all the characters because of how good the setup was and how believable it's been until this point. Yeah. So now, I know. Sure, make that. Yeah, I think that it, it is really critical, like the the careers and the roles that you give your characters and their backstories, because you've seen him be hypercritical and hypersensitive 
to the smallest details. Mm-hmm. And so you you believe him when he says the stuff. Whereas in the, the earlier version, the guy was not the greatest doctor. Like he, <laughs> he was very dismissive of, you know, what could have been, what he could have solved. You know, he could have like put a stop to it from the beginning had he paid more attention, but he was more interested in getting laid and he wasn't really acknowledging his patience. And then this one, you see Donald Sutherland like able to pull like a tiny little rat turd out of a huge pot of soup and like discern those little off yeah things. you just really it's intelligence yeah behind it, basically, he just seems so. really smart and his delivery of the line is like okay yeah you know yeah i've put down a i had a note here for like the leaps of logic here are as big as the first film but the reactions just seem to come from a more grounded mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. which for me sells you it completely because right. yeah they seem to figure things out pretty quickly but they react in a way that's how you would react right. yeah um and when he rushes to get elizabeth i'm not thinking well, that's kind of a weird leap to immediately think, oh, maybe she's going to be a pop person too. I'm completely with him. Like he knows what's going on with the husband more. He's already mm-hmm. suspicious of stuff. Like all the little jigsaw pieces of this movie. And plus it benefits for a longer running time. Well, so they get to deal with stuff. Too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they he come. hears this weird, her weird monotone husband or boyfriend or whatever. He's like, Elizabeth can't come to the phone right now. You know, he's just being super weird. Mm-hmm. So. San Francisco's. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Goldblum decides to take a nap because, you know, why wouldn't he? very sleepy. Um, and we see it actually happen for the first time in either movie. We see the body of Jack form and it opens its eyes. Um, and then when Jack opens his eyes, the pod person's eyes close immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you get very clear correlate. Again, it's just simple but very good narrative storytelling in yep. film. Like you see what's going on. You understand the rules, what's going on. I was wrong in the last podcast when I said once it opens its eyes, the other person's dead. That's obviously not the case. Right. But the transferal of energy between them. Starts. Yeah. It's there. Like one can't be activated without the other one being deactivated, essentially. And you see like the tendrils stretching between them and how they're connected to each other. Um, Yeah, it's it's a creepy scene. Um, And just the effects work really Really well, and you have these great it. sound effects in there too. I was trying at the beginning w- before um, when you see it start to happen, like it has this almost like ultrasound sort of sound to it where it's just like, wow, wow, yeah. wow, wow, wow. And it just, that overbearing sound is just like puts you on edge no matter what. And then once the thing, like once the the system is kind of more elongated, once you start to hit the the climax point of it, it almost starts to become a heartbeat because it goes like wah wah and yeah. it's like don't, yeah it completely don't, does don't 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 and it's just like that is so such a cool way of explaining what the process is because you know it's more of this kind of vagueness and then it starts to pinpoint into this life this new life is actually forming and from there you you i think subconsciously you do start to realize that it's like that thing has a heart like that thing is a person it's a, a human at that point and there's this like culmination feel to things so I I thought it was brilliant. That scene was insane. And she's watching it as it happens. Yeah. Right? She's the one who's there when he opens his eyes. Yeah. So and she, she they have it out. put together that, you know, the second he wakes up, mm-hmm. it, you know, shuts its eyes. Yeah. But. So like um, Donald then breaks into her house, sees her boyfriend sitting in a room with headphones on. What's he listening to? He was watching the TV or. Yeah, I think he right? was. Because he was watching the, the TV, but it was just that like the dead air channel or whatever yeah. it was. But you don't know what he's actually listening to. Because are you assuming that his headphones are hooked up to the TV? 
Because that's so. advanced, right? That's too advanced I mean, for the 70s. I was a little confused, yeah. to be honest. Exactly. But I was guessing it had something to do with, yeah, like a, like it was some communication I felt basically in terms right. of what is going on what are the updates yeah. it's like the pod podcast or and, whatever and x amount of people <laughs> pod, pod people podcast, podcast. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah and then i've noted here we get synth score for the first time so i do know like yeah the director was um i'm trying to remember what's the name of yeah so it was jazz musician denny zeitlin uh who was enlisted to write the music for this film um, and it was the first and only score that he ever did. And the whole point of it was, yeah, to shift from organic jazzy melodies mm-hmm. into fully atonal uh, sort of synthesizer sounds and stuff like that. That's great. Um, with lots of dissonant noises. And this is the first point where it really starts to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, he finds Elizabeth's naked pod person body growing um, and he tries to wake the real her up. But Jeffrey comes in to check in on her. After he leaves, Sutherland carries Elizabeth out. Jeffrey goes upstairs with the box to take out her remains. And that's the final part of that sort mm-hmm. of whole clue. It's like we're finally putting it all together, understanding, yeah, what the order of things are. And it's great because we're getting the beginning of it with Jeff Goldblum's side of the scene and we're getting the end of it with her side of the scene. Again, mm-hmm. beat by beat, the first film. Like he has to break yeah. in. Yes. He has to kind of climb through. Well, he doesn't climb through the window. He breaks in in a smarter way and like reaches through and unlocks the door and comes in. Yeah. But yeah, I loved the him carrying her body as you see jo- like jeff i always want to call him joffrey game of thrones <laughs> joffrey. damn you <laughs> jeffrey is like coming upstairs to kind of clean up yeah, after her they use yeah. shadows nicely yeah and donald sutherland's pretty strong guy apparently well he's kind of little he's yeah. really he tall very little tall does not so. make you strong i can definitely he just seems that. like a well-built man yeah you know well he's sort of they're all pretty lanky in this leonard nimoy nimoy is uh jeff, jeff goldblum's, goldblum's crazy so skinny. Lanky. he's, he's just lanky. like a little gumby guy <laughs> <laughs> he's just all so weird uh then we get one of the now trademark invasion body snatchers screams from the house once jeffrey finds that she's gone but we're outside at this point mm-hmm and then we get what when I first saw this film. What when I first saw this film? What when? <laughs> was the only scene that really, I want to say creeped me out, but definitely was the most effective for me in terms of horror, which is the body in the mud bath when they tend to reach down. Because they're just so yeah. candid about it. They don't care. They're just like reaching straight in there. And then she says, oh, uh, yeah, we once had a guy who died in here and sank to the bottom of the mud bath. Because Leonard Nimoy comes to look and see the body and it's gone. So they start searching for it everywhere. And it's just something about just diving straight into that mud bath. And you don't know what the hand's going to pull out of there. Yeah. And it really creeps me out. It's very like Creature from the Black Lagoon or something. Yeah, that's great. Uh, but then we see that there's already a garbage truck destroying the evidence outside the open window. And that's it. Like we've got all of the loose ends of how does, other than how do they talk to each other. Yeah. Maybe by headphones through a TV. We're, not sure. <laughs> we're getting like all of the kind of practicalities out of the way they've explained to us everything the characters as i say and again they kind of catch on with it pretty quickly yeah. <laughs> but it, it feels believable and leonard nimoy, nimoy is just it's down here is nimoy on my fucking paper every time now. <laughs> uh he's just infuriatingly smug i just yeah. want to punch him the whole film i did notice that uh donald sutherland parks in her driveway to go in and kidnap yeah. her it's not very which, covert. No. Which I understand. It was like, oh, you're in San Francisco. There's nowhere to park. But there was obvious parking right out front. And he literally like took the time to back in, like reverse <laughs> into the driveway, which makes for a great getaway. But I was like, you're very obvious. Like Jeffrey could have just looked out the front door and been like, seen the lights. What's up, buddy? <laughs> well, then you get like, 
yeah, you get like a, a scene straight after that, which is weird, but also very grounding, which is where Donald then decides, well, I'm going to get the police to go straight back to his house yeah. and go straight back to try and show them the body and they can't find the body. And then you just get this look between them, between Jeffrey and the police where, you know, okay, they're yeah. all already in on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Leonard Nimoy decides to attempt, uh, sorry, accept what they're saying because he's known Donald for so long. And I feel this is a really nice scene because mm-hmm. again, what we're getting is that complexity of friendship. Like we're getting that thing of like, he's been calling them, not crazy, but there's a rational reason for why you're imagining all these things. And then he just has to come out and just say, look, I accept, you know, what mm-hmm. you're saying because we've known each other for so long. We realized later that's not the case. It's because he's a pod person already yep. and he's just trying to get into their ranks. Now, do you feel... Because I've looked for it every time I've watched this movie. Is he a pod person from before they go to that first book reveal? Or do you feel once he decides to start believing them, that's a signify that he's now become a pod person? And up to then was the real him where he's pushing against it. And once he becomes a pod person, then he's like, well, I need to be in their ranks. So I'm going to like become a part of it. Because I'm always looking for that moment. Do we, do we, are we around when he turns into a pod person? I think I had assumed it happened after the book release just because i feel i also it again comes to the question of how intelligent are the pod people but if we're if they're first targeting people that have influence on others that other people are going to for help like they call him to come to the mud bath then that's who they would target next Mm. so i mean i i don't know if that's something that's cleared up in the book or in future movies but that would in my head, that's what makes the most sense. So that's what I assumed they were doing. Yeah, I think because you start to see the people who are of influence like start to fall once they start to see the thread of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Because you would have to take out the smarter the police, people. like are yeah. a great one. Yeah, any detective-y, first. deductive skills, mm-hmm. like any of that is the one that you would want to take out at the top tier. Because um, he does like, when you see him at the book signing... He, he kind of establishes him as who he is. Um, and you do see him as kind of like this smug kind of dick, but at the same time that by the other characters interacting with him like that and not sensing anything off with him, you, you then know that that's who he really is. Um, so I think that he's normal at that point, but then, yeah, when they start to see him later, he is very much more like, cut and dry every single thing they say he's finding reason against it um but i think that because that is he's very dry as a person that that is what the character or like that pot person had to assume is his normal role Mm. um but it is hard to establish because he isn't that personable of a person yeah there's not a definite moment where he just changes which is weird because, yeah, with people like Jeffrey, he's so different Yeah, <laughs> that they do change the parameters right. of how much you change, you know, and how different yeah. you become. I think, yeah, I think that is, that is sort of an issue with that. But I understand why it's important to the story that you don't know when some people shift and when some people don't. But it is hard because you're like, how do they decide who is more droid-like and who is, yeah. you know, has to still maintain this sort of affability or believe that they're not changed to in order to draw more people in yeah because it's like how do you decide that but it's like you say it does kind of work because 
he's not that emotional yeah. to begin with he's you know pretty straight laced and mm-hmm. and i just love that dynamic like jeff goldblum donald sutherland Leonard Nemo, like all three of them kind of dicks in their own ways yeah. and yet somehow they're all really well leonard more at this point because he starts to soften but they're just you're really on board with them and they seem yeah. empathetic and it's i don't know i think they're fascinating characters yeah. uh, but then we do get the shot Nimoy comes out and goes into the car um, with others and he is with a the policeman person. yeah yeah um and goldblum sniffing a flower elizabeth realizes that jeff gave her one as well and nancy realizes that the patron uh, who gave her one and they begin to very quickly put it all together um, and we have that little expositional, very 1970s scene to do with, you know, we'd never even notice we eat junk, we breathe junk, like we live in a generation of trash, basically. Right. So we'd never even notice this stuff getting into us and polluting us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really the girls who put it together and the guys are kind of pushing against it to begin with. Um, and then Elizabeth tries to get the flat analyzed at work and they won't let her do the test. And then they say it's going to take a while. And yeah. she's finally catching up with the audience. So, well, actually, I don't feel she does with that guy. I feel she kind of believes him weirdly. Yeah. Well, Before, he uses yeah. that she hadn't been at work as an excuse that she was late or something. Yeah. He was like, she's going to take no, a few days. you're not allowed to do this. We'll do it. Yeah. Uh, but they do that. So this was a problem I had with the, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but a thing with the original was you had that thing of them resolving it. And remember, they all wake up and it's a sunny day. Yeah. And they all go out and continue as normal. Um, and your lead character, Miles, is kind of accepting everything was maybe in his head. Right. Here we kind of get that, but it's not. Like, the, those things are still there. Like, she's still trying to get the flower, like, checked on. Jeff is calling officials to, to you know, see what's going on. He's not getting the feedback that he needs. He then goes to the Chinese laundry service again, and the man's completely okay. And he <laughs> starts to feel weirded out by that. Right. Um the woman from the beginning uh, uh, meets with the girl who was freaking out um, earlier. Oh, right. The, she yeah. shows up at her place. Yeah, so right. yeah, she shows up, says everything's okay, and yeah. says, I'll see you soon, I hope. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, it's they do a good job of sort of resetting it, where you can see them all starting to relax, right. but uh, still building the tension at the same time. Um, and yeah, in the original, this made them, th- like all these things that were happening made them think it was all okay, and here it's very much the opposite. I feel it's all kind of re-impregnating the story with right no you're right on the cusp of it um and then they all hang out together they don't have a barbecue in this one (laughs) but they hang out and freak out a little bit realize that there's no radio stations so these are big horror tropes very typical um but that's a definite signifier surely that everybody now in the city or in the county or whatever knows this is happening yeah because like there's no going back after this point that's really a turning point if the mm-hmm. radio stations are down you're fucked um and it's night time and they all decide to have a slumber party um and then the pods begin to replicate them and we get quite a protracted long scene here of the yeah. pods creating all of them mm-hmm. well it's the first one that you see where they're like opening up and they're actually you know delivering these bodies out and yeah. then you see it like literally tethering itself to donald sutherland's hand and you know he's initially trying to fight off sleep and then you can just see he kind of just drops off so it's the, and again like that ultrasoundy sort of wah yeah. wah wah and it's just it gets louder and louder and louder and it's just to the point that you're you know almost shouting at your tv you're like wake up you know <laughs> and you're just so not wanting to see him go yet which i thought was great 
you get the nastiest imagery for me is in this scene from the whole film, which is when you see the unformed like, heads yeah, coming yeah. from like the where the stamen would like be. Soft and, yeah, yeah, and it's like watching childbirth, but from yeah. a flower, and it's really icky. Like, yeah, really just, really there's weird. something about the organics of it that's yeah. just so horrible. But I love that concept that they're not, like, delivering these fully formed humans, you know, or fully formed adults. Yeah. That it's that there is this birth process because it does it leaves them in this vulnerable state for this very crucial amount of time that they have to keep these people asleep for a certain amount of time and so it establishes how long it takes to form this person yeah to form these pod people it's really horrible and then um i've forgotten her name uh, Nancy. nancy comes down rescues donald um and yeah starts shouting they get you while you sleep giving yeah. the film a great tagline that i don't think they necessarily realize that <laughs> um he rings the police who know his name um so the four of them realize just how big it is uh he doesn't decide to be a hero does he like the original miles and stay behind and like i'll keep the police on the line while you get away they all right. run off together yeah uh the, the power to the house is cut off the barricaded street they're getting hunted down and this is definitely where it turns into a full-on science fiction action mm-hmm. movie for a bit anyway uh, they run. Uh, Bennett stays behind to kill the pods. So he does do the same thing in terms of moving from pod to pod. Uh, we saw in the last one where he can't kill his girlfriend. And then uh, we were, conf- well, some of us confused because you thought it was going to kill himself in the first one. I thought he was going to kill his the friend, friend. In, the, in the original. Yeah, I thought he stabbed himself in the first one. So you might have been right because here he definitely yeah, can't kill his girlfriend or potential girlfriend and right. goes to kill himself instead. And instead of the original one where you moaned that we cut away last time, we definitely don't this time. No. <laughs> you get very graphic head <laughs> caving in in yep. goopy matter. Um, and as it happens, the other pod people let out a whale. So we do get this correlation of they feel the pain of each other. Right. It is like a hive mind thing, which does really have a big red flag for <laughs> the endings of these movies, mm-hmm. which I feel we all let them get away with because the endings are great. Yeah. There you go. But like, I'm confused by like, obviously I understand you don't want to kill someone you love or the image of someone you love. But so if you're in this position and you think these things are going to try and take over that person that I love, would you then not want to destroy that that thing? Yeah, particularly in this film, because this we've definitely established they're different entities. Where yeah. in the original, it's always confusing. Is it actually that is person or not? Right. The only time you really get it, yeah, is her in the basement. Because the they don't know at this point that it's like there's maybe there's only one pod per human. Hmm. And then if I destroy that one, then they can't get me. So he doesn't know at this point that if he destroys that one, then she's safe. Yeah. You know, but he is kind of selfish that he only kills his own and then he's like, you're on your own. Fuck you. (laughs) Should have stayed behind (laughs) and killed your own pod person. (laughs) Uh, We also get the very first pointers and whalers in this scene. So it's the first time. And it's for me the, yeah, like I keep saying the most horny or this. That's why I keep choosing my words carefully (laughs) because there's the most icky bit for me. Yeah. There's the most creepy bit for me. This is like the, the thing from invasion of the body snatches the, the, the pointing and the wailing, yeah, wailing. That sound and yeah. you don't get that in the original um you don't get the sound like that you don't get the pointing and i feel it's so central to just once they have majority control of the city that's when they can expose themselves like that and they're yeah. not undercover anymore that's where they can point and scream and you get to see part of the true alienness of them come out apparently it's like a reversed pig squeal i was gonna say else. it's very 
like I was trying to decipher it, it's almost like a lion roar mixed with like a wailing or like a shrieking. Yeah, it's yeah. a high pitch, like yeah. a, but the power but like, of... there's this gutturalness yeah. to it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's very freaky, whatever it is. Um, we get a great use of shadows and light as they running to Pier 33. Yeah. And you get these wide shots, which is unusual for an action scene of running, but wide, long shots and the pod people chasing them, cornering them, helicopters coming... Um, and here's where they switch the hero- heroism. Jack decides to uh, be the hero, Jeff Goldblum, and he distracts them and runs off with Nancy in pursuit because she's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's her husband, man. I know. I would be like, I would be upset if all of a sudden, you know, you were to be like, "I'm the hero, bye." Like, you're you're probably <laughs> gonna die, yeah. and you don't even say fucking goodbye to me. Like, <laughs> yes, I'm coming after you, if only to beat you up. <laughs> hey, look, nature finds a way. Um, obviously not <laughs> but it's great I love that they give Jeff Goldblum real purpose in this yeah. film they give him like a moment to shine even if we don't really see him again well we yeah. do but briefly um, Elizabeth and Matthew uh, walk off down the street um, and I love this because you get the this whole scene told from feet yeah you move from and it, I don't think I ever got just how arty this is but it's so arty in places this movie yeah. with how they approach stuff and it's kind of creepy and almost comical at the same time because you get them walking then you cut to the pop people like turning and then they start walking and it's it's it is almost comedy um, and then they sort of speed up they're walking and, and get chased again and it doesn't even need to be there there's loads of scenes like this in the movie like in the edit room if you're looking at time you're just like well just get rid of that bit because mm-hmm. it doesn't tell us anything they're already running yeah. why slow them down to then start running again but it's just so artistfully shot. Yeah. It's great. Um, they're chased through the red light district um, and take a cab to the airport. And the taxi driver says into his radio that his passengers are type H. Human. Human. I'm guessing. Probably. <laughs> Very subtle. <laughs> yeah. Which they don't seem to notice for a bit until they get to a roadblock, um, at which point they flee. Well, they tell him incorrect information. The, so I think they've just been cautious, yeah. That... Donald Sutherland's like, well, it's weird that you're asking us all these questions because he's like, oh, are you going out of town? And they're like, oh, no, we're, we're just going to pick people up. Yeah. So it makes them feel or potentially they could be, you know, just drawing more people into the web. But they definitely don't notice him. Not at all surreptitiously saying to his walkie talkie yeah. type H people <laughs> in the yeah. back of my camera. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they run out at the roadblock, uh, steal their way into uh, his into her laboratory and his laboratory, I guess. And they make out a little bit, a little smoochy smoochy while hiding. Um, it's such a great kiss, though. It's so good. It's really, <laughs> really good. Because you never see this, like, you know, huge moment for them. It's just so calm and so quiet. It's almost like a numb comfort. Yeah. It's not you know, passion. Yeah. It's not like this. But you... it's almost sad because there's this potential that they could never have that thing that they should have had, you know, because you've seen their relationship and you know that they would be great together. But then there's just this sense of we've missed it, yeah. you know, yeah. like we'll never get that. Yeah. And it was just, it was really, really great. And you, But you also moment. feel their minds have moved on to other things, like just yeah. them getting through it together is more important yeah. than him giving her babies. Like, yeah. I want to have your babies. Like, not in this world, you don't. No. <laughs> they would be farmed immediately. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they spend the night and we hear all the sirens outside on the square, just like the first film. Uh, hundreds of people organized, taking pods onto trucks. 
they take pills to stay awake and then Jeff Goldblum and Leonard Nimoy come back with others to try to convince them that it's a better way. They got Jeff Goldblum, poor little Jeffy. Um, and they give, uh, yeah, they give Elizabeth and Matthew a mild sedative, but they have already taken their poppers to keep them going. Um, they, yeah, is it her or is it, yeah, oh, yeah it must be, it's Elizabeth who says, I hate you. And then they reply, we don't hate you. There's no need for hate now or love. Right. Um, and it's just a much more eloquent way to do exactly the same thing. Again, it's so sim- similar to the original movie. Yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't make it so, like, dramatic about it all being about love. And yeah. what would the world be like without love? It's like, yeah, but there are other emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no fear. There's no stress. There's no hate. There's none. And so those things almost make it to yeah. where you start to understand and you see the Why appeal of it. Okay with and it. you're like, oh, well, the world would be pretty great if... There wasn't this conflict. There's no more war. There's no more reason to have war. And yeah. it just you start to see and play devil's advocate in your head where you're like, well, I could I could live with like potentially some of the world being pod people. And <laughs> maybe it wouldn't be so bad if the president was a pod person, but hmm. everyone else could be a normal person. And it's like then you start to like Pretty you sure know. your president is a pod person, but of a well, different type. That's, <laughs> he has too much hate in him to be yeah. a pod person. <laughs> Um, oh, no, but you're right. Like, this is, this is the, the, have <laughs> the most classic, greatest science fiction is based on it. It's like struggles with humanity. Yeah. And so much of it, whether you're talking about AI films or novels and things like Alien Invasion ones, that's what they're discussing, like the really good right. ones, is kind of at what point, like it makes, makes way more sense to have an AI civilization that make way better yeah. decisions for the environment and for the planet and for the universe. Yeah. But you lose humanity, which means, yes, you lose passion, you lose art you lose hate on all these things that create the best and the worst things it's like um, this great little film i don't know if you've ever heard of it called equilibrium <laughs> it's pretty fantastic don't you dare bring up equilibrium do a little christian bale nope we're never do- if we run through are we doing reign of fire before we do equilibrium Tay Diggs and christian bale in the same movie come on ali luckily looks very lost right fantastic i've not seen we'll it. watch it ali don't worry about it <laughs> Awful movie. Wonderful. So Wonderful film. They kill Jeff Goldblum and then they put Leonard Nimoy in the freezer uh, and lock him in there. And then they sneak out of the building and bump into Nancy uh, on the way down the stairs. For a moment, they don't know who to trust. There's a great little moment between all of them. And then she tells them that by hiding your feelings, you can fool them. So again, we get uh, the same scene as in the first film, only now they've got Nancy along with them as well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. I like that we're keeping the ensemble feel. We don't have definite leads. We're still not sure who we're going to end up with. At well, the end. and you don't know really at that point if you should be trusting Nancy. Yeah. Because yeah. she could just be playing that part of saying like, oh, I'll walk along with them. They seemingly put my their trust in her. She could turn at any minute. And now we get the weirdest bit of the movie. They get in line with the other pod people <laughs> and then the busker, who we haven't really mentioned, but there's this busker who's sort of hanging out and oh, Jeff, yeah. I'm sorry, and um, Donald Sutherland passes him a few times, who has a dog. He somehow had a pod infusion with his dog. You passed them at one point. Yeah, yeah. right before yeah. they run into Nancy again. Yeah, yeah, you see the pod like near them. Yes. Which but, right when it happened in the movie, you made a comment when we were watching it and you're like, oh, that's weird. I wonder if they could... If yeah, any of this happens with dogs, or you something. completely forgotten. Yeah. I completely, I wipe the this bit from my see. brain every time I see this film. <laughs> Fucking crazy. Because it's so strange. Yeah. And I, I want to say dumb, but it kind of works. But it's not like anything else in this movie. It's like this weird CGI face on a dog. <laughs> 
and it's not played for laughs for sure it's yeah. like it's, it's supposed so, to be scary for sure it's meant to so be the weird. thing that breaks her yeah they have the dog running in front yeah. of the car in the first one they're like it, what's creepier a dog with a human face that was it's a late 70s someone's like stoned on something yeah <laughs> and it's like what's better than the dog in front i know <laughs> dog dude <laughs> human dog face <laughs> Um, the banjo, like, so the, the actual, not the actor who plays the busker, but the banjo song that he's playing, it's like, it's the lead guitarist from some classic band from the 60s. I can't remember. Oh. It's not Led Zeppelin, but it's something really cool like that. Interesting. Um, I didn't pick up on that. But yeah, so I kept thinking, well, maybe it's something to do with that, but I don't, I don't <laughs> understand this shot. Um, it's yeah, bizarre. Yeah. And and raises questions. But if we want to go back to your previous podcast to do with pregnant women yeah. getting pop peopled. <laughs> Do they become one little fused thing? Yeah. Maybe it's like when you have a twin that grows out of your spine or something. Pop and then up. their baby just like starts, they get like two heads. Hmm. It could, it really, it's, it's the op- it opens questions that don't need to be opened. <laughs> I feel we'll find <laughs> without <again>. this. <laughs> um, yeah, so Elizabeth freaks out. Um, pop people then start screaming and pointing. They start running again and they lose Nancy as they get onto a truck because they're mean. Uh, the truck then takes them to warehouses where we see the pods being grown. And these are huge warehouses in this film. Uh, they hide for a bit and then they hear music, bagpipes this time, uh, and follow it to see it's coming from ships on the docks. And they yeah, think that like they chips, can get away. Right? Or something? Yeah, huge ships. No, chips, the song. Oh, is it? Yeah. Um, I think. I don't know. Because he even says it at one point, if I recall, that Donaldson is like, oh, what? Like it means something oh. momentous for him. Um, yeah, they think they can get away. He goes to check them out, but the ships are taking the pods um, to different places. So he returns to International. find Elizabeth snoozing, <laughs> oh, just shit. like in the first film. He can't wake her. He lies to her as she dies, uh, which I think is really nice. What does um, he say? I don't Forget. remember my note. Is he lies to her? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. She asks him something about, are we going to... No, he's no. I don't think she asks him. I think he just tells her, like, I've seen the ships. Like, it's okay. We're going to be able to oh, get away. Yeah, We're yeah. Going to be able to... Okay. As she's dying in his arms. And then she literally dissolves. Like, she just yeah. sort of yep. shrinks, shrivels so up. Yep. It's really creepy. Yeah. Um, back again when CGI wasn't around. So we just get these cool practical effects. And then appears behind him in her new form naked. He runs away from the naked girl. <laughs> <laughs> and sneaks back into the main warehouse. So, yeah, we should say here is one of our notes. Donald Sutherland insisted on doing all of his own stunts in this movie. And a lot of actors will say that, but they don't do many of the stunts. It means they did maybe 10%, 50% Mac. Mm-hmm. Like, he did apparently all of this stuff, which um, I was watching it with scrutiny this time. And it does seem, yeah, like he did. At begin with, it doesn't seem that impressive. He's just walking along gangplanks. Mm-hmm. But then there's a whole bunch of stuff along beams later. They didn't have any trapezes. They didn't have any nets to catch people in. Right. Don't know how you'd get away. You wouldn't be allowed to do that now. No. <laughs> you would no, be no, shut down. Big Too many actor. contracts. Yeah. Uh, but really cool that he was that passionate about this role. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and then he begins the. He grabs an axe, and the alarms go off weirdly when he grabs an axe, which I find a little strange. Um, but then he begins cutting all the ropes and these little LED covers before LED, but these little light bulbs. Well, they're meant to be like burst into crate explosions, <laughs> big ones <laughs> across the warehouse. Which I'm gonna get let the film have it because 
I've enjoyed it so much so far. I get what they're going for. It's just times 10 what it would be. Yeah. It would start maybe a little fire that you'd have to cultivate and they would just come and put it out. Yeah. <laughs> it would be more of an annoyance than a destruction. Like, oh, we just put that up. Yeah. yeah. God damn it. Uh, but yeah, we get a full explosions, and which I wasn't expecting for the end of this movie. I did not see this movie ending with explosives. Yeah. Um, and then Elizabeth walks through the burning building, points and screams. Still naked. Yeah, still naked. And for some bizarre reason, Donald throws down his axe to run away, which I feel you'd keep hold of the one weapon that you have. Axes are heavy. It's true. This is true. Confirmed. Um, and then, yeah, and then he goes and he hides from them underneath the beams of the dock. So this is reflecting that great shot we talked about last week in the 1950s one where they go into the mine and then they pull the slats on top of them. Right. And you see them walking above them. The same thing happens here. Um, they shine a torch through at him, seemingly, and then it fades to black. And we go to the next day. And it's purposely confusing. So you don't really know what's happening. Now, what I want to know, Ali, since it's your first time watching it, the next bit that we're going to talk about, the true ending to this movie, did you see that coming because of the weird editing there? Or did you just take that as a natural pl- place to finish that scene? When I was watching it, I had assumed that he was still faking it just because of how... Is that what you're asking about after it fades to black and goes back to the everyday life? Yeah, just because they really do interrupt this action scene of him hiding, but just fading to black. It's not yeah. like they walk away like in the original, and then maybe it would fade to black with the release attempt. No, they're there. It looks like they find him yeah. almost, and then it fades to black. And you're definitely like, well, what am I meant to take from that? Right. Is that too obvious to a modern audience, do you think? Of, well, since we're not showing the information that they didn't find him, clearly they did. No, because I think it was left open enough that it could have gone either way. I don't think it was super clear whether or not they saw him, which I think is why they... <laughs> Katie's battling I'm with watching a mosquito. Karate chop moths. Gotcha. It's all good, you guys. Well done. We have a ninja in the house. Um, because it's left open, and then when they cut to the next day, you are reading into it whether he's acting weird on purpose or not. I think just as a viewer, you would read into it because it's left open like that. Cool. And I like that there's still controversy and arguments about whether or not he's human still mm-hmm. yeah okay so let's get to that because yeah i really that's what i was hoping you still get from it because what i think is very cool about what they do i used to not like it actually i used to think oh they fade to black it makes it too obvious that he's definitely gonna he is a pop person because why else would you fade to black in this moment um at which i have to say every time i've watched this movie up until this viewing and then reading and listening more to other people's opinions on it and really seeing what what people feel about it i always took it that he was a pop person when you return afterwards Um, because you come back to him he's walking around the city pop people have taken over everyone's just doing their jobs Mm kind of like you said it would be in the 50s one of like well if they win it's just gonna be a boring life they're not yeah. really they're sort of doing the jobs but they're just sort of looking into space as well it's like yeah nothing's happening you're not doing yeah, but it they're meant to be i think like way more efficient so. they don't look it she's sitting at a no, microscope know, but they're doing because nothing. they have all this other free time because they're like so much right. better at their jobs or something but it has, a, they, it has this zombie yeah. feel to it of like they're just going back to the places that they used to go to right like it's very dawn of the deadish mm-hmm. um and he's walking amongst them and he seems to be judging them. He seems to be, he looks at Elizabeth, she doesn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. And you feel, I felt for sure in my first viewing thought, okay, he isn't a pop person. 
But then you have the reveal when he bumps into Nancy. She doesn't know if she should break or not, pretending to be a pop person. She does. She talks to him. He points and screams. And we're left with the camera going into her mouth. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, yeah, other people now have very strongly feel that he is still a human and he's just become incredibly good at integrating himself into the society while he's figuring out what he's going to do and creating a plan he points and screams at nancy how he'll do that voice i don't know but he points at her <laughs> and screams at her because she's going to rumble him and everyone you know he would finally be caught so he sacrifices her essentially sure. there is a weird thing where he's cutting thing out of a newspaper and yeah, he puts it in his it pocket and then he's fiddling with it when he walks down the hallway which seems very particular and I don't know what that means. Uh, I tried to do some research. There's nothing conclusive for sure that I could find. Um, I, I like now, yep, that it can be left open either way. And it makes the going to black cooler for me because what is, I feel maybe they're saying, and I don't know, but the way I now interpret it is when they go to black, they're saying, look, it's obviously a weird place for us to edit this scene. We're not telling you which way it goes. We're not trying to hide that. And I feel it's really bold to be like, now we're going to reintroduce you and you're not going to know which way he is. Whereas any other film would do that and expect you just to still, well, he's still your lead. You're just going to believe he's a real person, right. not a pop person. And now I kind of read he it. He looks that very not rested. That. He does. He looks like he's got a nice like, three-piece suit on. He looks very put together. His hair is combed. You know, he's very manicured. And so it gives this sense of um, like refreshedness in him which you struggle to understand how he could have achieved that if he hadn't slept and if he hadn't, you know, gone to the dark side of everything. So that was, to me, that was the main indicator that I struggled with. Okay. Um, So you feel, which way do you feel? I don't know. (laughs) But I love the question. I think that it's such a brilliant ending because you can, like, you, you... it's so rare to be able to have those films that there aren't definite answers where people are like, no, it's because of this, this, and this. And someone's like, oh, okay, I never saw that. There, It's so ambivalent that it's, can, it leaves it just hanging. And I love that about it. Both sides of the argument are super convincing. Yeah. And yeah. it's easy to believe both ways or yeah. either way. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. It frustrates me in some ways, but in other ways, because <laughs> I loved that twist the first time I saw yeah. it. But now as a more sophisticated viewer... Yeah, you would see that coming. And I love that there's still enough there to read it yeah. the other way. Um, and I'm very glad that we never get the answer because we never get a proper sequel, just right. remakes. What I also did notice um, was that like throughout the, the first part or like all of the film up to this point, everything is still very lush and green and grown. And then when you see him walking across that courtyard, all the trees are shriveled. Everything is dried up. Everything so, looks dead and pale around in the world. Do and you feel that's a reflection of what they've done? Or do you feel it's just a different time of year? I don't like to me, it, it struck me because a, they're always, they're drinking water constantly through this film. So it's like this feeling of being dried up because then if you do get caught, you, you d- dissolve into dust essentially. Mm. So it's almost like this feeling of like the world, like the earth itself is losing the water. You know, and it's just this feeling of crackliness and this dryness. And to me, I thought that was such an interesting touch because it didn't strike me as like, oh, it's just fall. It was like the the trees looked like shriveled, like shrunken. And I didn't feel that like from one day to the next that that transition would have been so great. 
I really like that because I always took it as oh it's just full I always took it as oh a few months have passed basically oh, but know. no but I really like that idea of like yeah because yeah, the water thing is definitely something I noticed more yeah. this time and it makes a lot more sense with the obviously vegetation of what mm-hmm. the mat that they're made from right I think that's a cool but it also gives the sense of it's like an infestation it's not to make the world better it's you know it's just to take over and then probably move on yeah so it starts to speak to the aftermath of this invasion yeah and i do yeah not to keep hammering on about it but it's so pointless like the invasion just seems like there's yeah. no real they're not yeah. going to do anything they they're literally just going to gonna, it's how they exist that's yeah. it and i kind of like that about it it makes it yeah. creepier that there isn't a big plan it's not even to save their own planet or anything like that yeah. it's just no, we this just is what come we do. and have a place um a few uh, quick notes that i didn't bring up as we're going through um, which are just some interesting tidbits about the film. So yeah, as I said before, Dan Siegel, sorry, Don Siegel, the director of the 1950s original, he played the cab driver um, that they get into the taxi with um, when they're heading towards the airport. Uh, if they look scared in the scene, apparently it's because they were. Uh, the director had lost most of his vision was driving nights through San Francisco without his glasses. <laughs> oh my God. And they were terrified. Um in terms of cars as well donald sutherland was actually hit by a volkswagen beetle while filming a shot of matthew and elizabeth running he fell on the windshield and the driver shouted at him oh my god not you (laughs) (laughs) um we also had elizabeth's nude scene was filmed with clothes on as well for the 1980 debut on abc tv Hmm. um the director of the film himself plays uh, the impatient man rapping on the window of the phone booth and the final note is one to do with the ending that we've just been talking about so only philip kaufman wd richter and donald sutherland knew how the film would end um and they uh, they very purposely did not tell nancy um, or anybody else on the crew so that when they got the last shot and sutherland pointed out her screaming cartwright's reaction was as authentic as possible you presume they always say this stuff on film sets i believe it you presume the director must have given her instruction of whatever happens, keep going, which in your head would Hint put the idea of well, something weird's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Because um, in order to get that shot of her, like where it goes like into her face, yeah, it's, a long it's like you would have had to give her direction and be like, you have to stand still, don't mm-hmm. move. This is what we're going to be like rushing up on you. Don't step back. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. So you have to know sort of kind of what that scene is going to look like well and it's also the problem is like this stuff people like to imagine things are how they horror films are the funniest thing to shoot because they're not at all they're all made up for editing and sound design and then bring the lighting down in post you do something like that with someone you've been working on with on the crew it's funny it's It's a gag reel thing if he does the pointing and screaming she's going (laughs) to take that as a joke and immediately start laughing it's not creepy without the pig sound go reverse and all this stuff so i don't know how much i believe that one but I don't know. Yeah. You don't know what like outside things they might have done to goose her to that reaction. That's true. They might have had a sound that was really loud and intense, and then it just kind of shocked her. Yeah. And they were like, "Whatever reaction you have, go 110 percent with it." And that's you know, she was scared, so she just started screaming or something. I mean, either way, either way, it's really she does a cool great of her. Like, yeah. she, she's an amazing actor because that's putting a lot of faith into someone. Yeah. Just a truly great reaction. I right. love her reaction. Yeah, the only thing that I don't like about this whole ending is the zoom into a mouth. Not because I don't like it, but just because they simply do it with like a a post kind of zoom. Um, yeah. And it doesn't feel right to me. It's something that definitely could be improved with a modern film. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah I'd, I'd love the ending of this movie i love the lack of music in it as well yeah. and it just feels raw and, and spooky yeah i really love it okay so before we get out of here let's talk about or any of our overall feelings i feel it's pretty obvious which way we're all going with this <laughs> sure. one but the question now is how much do we love it i guess <laughs> um let's start with katie this time um it's difficult because i don't really because normally i'll leave ones that i know that there is a next one and i'll like say oh it would have been great if they would have done this and this and this and that would make it better but in this one i really i loved what they did with the story i loved the holes that they filled from the first one i loved the roundness that they gave the characters i i am a huge fan of the ending um because somehow it still takes me by surprise every time and i'm like oh man i totally forgot that you don't know that he is one of them and then i watch the ending and i'm like maybe maybe he really isn't one of them and i just i can't decipher it and so I, I just think it's really brilliant i think there's wonderful arty nods which i really dig in films i like like that kind of independent director viewpoint that you get and yeah i it's a highly recommend for me i'd probably give it a nine nice i don't think you ever in all of your friday the 13th podcast well that, you've done that before is this, obvious <laughs> i don't think you ever gave a nine no because these are not friday the 13th scores this is a great film there was no one jumping for a window. There were no boobs. There he were boobs. He broke actually. a window. He did broke, and there were boobs. All right, it's basically a Friday Thirteenth yeah, movie. Yeah, but no sex. No, no There's sexy no time. Sex. Just numb smooching. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I like better. I prefer. <laughs> I prefer that. Allison. Yes. First time to the movie. First time to the movie. How much do you like it? It's. I mean, immediately so much better than the fifties one, both in terms of what. Your first shots are the creativeness of the shots, the sound design, the soundtrack, everything is just your questions are answered before you know that they're answered. You're just given this information and it makes sense later or it makes sense immediately at the beginning, depending on the viewer and the part that you're looking at. So I absolutely recommend this one for sure. And all of the characters have just more believable and more realistic relationships with each other and you're not unsure of how long they've known each other or what their relationship is or are they still married or mm-hmm. anything like that you know everything and everyone has specific characteristics to their own character that are charming and endearing and make you like them all which i like so yes i would highly recommend this and i think i'd probably give it an eight or eight and a half very nice very nice I'm trying to remember what daniel ball films you gave an eight and a half to to see where what uh, kind of things we're talking about levels for you We'll come remember. back to that at the end. <laughs> uh, in our last podcast. We're... I, uh, fuck, yeah, I love this movie so much. This movie for me is, is one of my absolute favorite movies ever made. Um, and looking at it this time with a pure critical hat and I was surprised to find I loved it more, not less. Um, just because of the way it was shot and some of the confident, cool decisions that they do. Normally, I've just been wrapped up in the story and the mood and the atmosphere and the acting and how enjoyable all of that is. This time, the artistry of it really spoke to me as well. Um, I think it's really unique. I think it boils down all the things that I love about the Body Snatchers sort of mythos, clarifies them where I need them to, leaves them mystical where I don't need them to. Um, I, I, it, for me, it's up there with like The Thing. And yeah, recently we went back to The Hitcher and I remembered how much I love that movie. But these are, for me, true classics of science fiction horror films from like 70s and 80s. And it's an absolute must-see. 
in my opinion. Um, whether you're a film student, whether you're a horror fan, whether you're a science fiction fan. Whether you just like movies. Yeah. It's just a great, great movie. And it has the best of 70s feel to it. Like the vibe of the 70s is all the way through it, but not in a funny way. In this really charming, just intoxicating way. Um, couldn't recommend it high enough. I would give it, yeah, definitely a nine. Um, maybe even higher, potentially even a 9.5. <laughs> I love it. Um, so yes, definitely, we're on a we're on an upswing right now. So next week, next Friday, we're going to be talking about just called Body Snatchers, uh, which was the original title of the original book, um, and it was it didn't take them twenty two years at the time; it took them fifteen years. Nineteen ninety three. We are moving into the nineties, so be wary <laughs> yes uh Ready we are scrunchies <laughs> well we're in a 93 and we'll talk about it in the next podcast but it is a period of time between the end of the 80s about 89 to about 95 where scream came out where horror was in the drain pipes like yeah. it was really bad no one knew what to do with horror they didn't know what trend was catching on it was people just flailing around so i'll be interested what you guys think of this movie um it, whether you will like it more probably not <laughs> but whether you'll like it as much or in a different way um, or you'll think the 50s one was better who knows see. we will see um, but kind of starts like what would you I mean after a film like this would you have rather the sequel or would you like another remake and if you want a remake what interests you like what do you want to see from an invasion of the body snatchers film that you haven't already seen I would for sure want a sequel You'd like a sequel. So you yeah. want to clarify whether he is or he isn't? Yeah. I mean, I think with the sequel, I would just end up upset. <laughs> <laughs> you want a sequel to because be disappointed the ending at. is so good, but the ending is so good and it makes you want to know what happens. So that's why I'm like, okay. I want to know. So would you be happy? But I also want it to do it justice. So it's, I don't know, it's a hard balance. Whether you were following him trying to like find a way to fight back and he's just sacrificed Nancy or whether you're following Nancy on the run like would you be happy with either of those I think I'd rather follow him because if he's I had taken the end as time had passed so I was in my head like oh he's already figured out how to sleep how long to sleep how to wake himself up before it happens and he has a structure to his day where he's able to maintain it and be mm -hmm. healthy like an and I still am legend sort of thing yeah so he's you know studied it and so I'd rather stay I would want to be with him and then have Nancy come in again later, whether she's a pod person now or not. Sure. Well, she's probably is because he gave her up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like that idea of having to like struggle with someone where you don't like them at the beginning yeah. because you know they yeah. just sacrificed a yeah. good person who was right. trying to reach out to them. But it's also that question, which I think we talk about this on the podcast a lot of just if, if he's doing that, if he is still human and he's like studying it and understanding it and learning how to solve it, do you save the one person who's your friend and who you love and who you have all these memories with? Or do you save, hopefully, mm -hmm. all Part of humankind of humanity. for the future? Yeah. I feel with him, it's more to do with himself, though. <laughs> I feel it's more like he wants yeah, to save well, himself. Yeah, well, if he's that confident in his yeah. discoveries this far, then, yeah, that's he's got to do that to save himself because Nancy hasn't been studying it. Well, maybe she has. We don't know. But we're with him, so. Okay. Watson, sequel or, or remake? See, I'm torn because, like, to me, a sequel... Uh, now that Allison just said that, I am more interested in that aspect because before I was like, no, because he's eventually going to be turned and you're just going to basically see the wasting of the earth, which, but then in my head after you said, cause I love 
the like systems that get built into post, not like post-apocalyptic, but in the face of big world changes. And I love these, like, I love to see those things happen. So in my head, my, I was like, oh, that'd be so cool to see, but I don't really know what I would want to see of the world. Like, does he wait until it destroys itself enough that, yeah, maybe like the aliens just leave, they go off back to their planet and he tries to salvage what is left of humankind or, you know, does it all just end in a big fireball in the end? But in a remake, I would struggle with because there's not going to be Jeff Goldblum. There's not going to be, <laughs> you know, there's there are these key characters that I've come to associate so strongly with this film and with my love for this film that I would have a really, really, really hard time. I think um, it'd have to be a completely different movie. It. Yeah, this, like, I think it, yeah, it would it have will be to more like stray. I'm or something, yeah, it would have to stray from these tropes that have been established thus far. I don't want to see this story happen again and again and again, just with new people and, Oh, but now she's a, you know, circus entertainer or something. (laughs) You know, it's like, I don't, I don't need to see different character development. I would want a sequel to be completely different too, though. Yeah. Like if you're going to make a sequel, you need to tackle a different problem in a completely different different way. Almost a different genre. Because if it's the same thing of like, Oh, we're going to walk and pretend to be a pod person and then we're going to hide. Right. Or maybe even if it's a different person altogether who had a very different story. And then you know that Donald Sutherland's story is happening at the same time, but you don't really see him or ever really, because I don't really want to know if he is or if he isn't. Mm -hmm. So if it was a sequel, like, yeah, I would want it to be someone else. Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah. All right. Well, you won't get that next week because it's a remake. But (laughs) (laughs) we'll see if there's anything new or interesting that I can give you that you haven't already got from this one. I've been your host, (laughs) Mr. Al White. You can follow me on all social medias, Mr. Al White. You can follow Katie Watson on things as... Uh, On Twitter, you can follow me at at Watson Dearest. And Alison Holland. I am on Instagram as Ali Sue. And you can follow this podcast and everything else we do by going to iTunes, typing in We Are Geeks, We Are Geeks, and you can subscribe. You'll get our weekly topical games and movies podcast that goes up every single Tuesday. You'll get our Hollywood and Wine subsidiary podcast from Adrian Ald, which talks about all uh, stuff going on in Hollywood. And you'll get this horror channel podcast every single Friday where we've covered Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. We also had director specials with Danny Boyle. Um, and now as we go through these body snatch movies and more to come in the future if you head over to wearetessellate.com then you can branch out to all the social medias and watch our movies and other things because we are a production company run out of london la and tokyo Tokyo. just (laughs) making our first feature film right now called starfish Uh, if you listen to our weekly podcast you'll learn more about that until then au revoir (laughs) we're out (laughs) bye 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 bye